Welcome back to the final chapter of Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. This is Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hello, everybody. Hello. All right, Brian. So, chapter 122, Something to Protect, Hermione Granger. What'd you think, bud? This chapter sucks, this book sucks, and I regret the year of my life wasted. <laughs> I was hoping you'd start off with a joke. Uh, we didn't rehearse and, it at all. Okay. And done. I guess we totally didn't. Um, I, no, I really liked it. Um, I just said, like, I guess my, my overall only complaint was like, oh, I wanted more of like the ending with Hermione, but all the Hermione I got was quite satisfying. Um, so it was my prediction no, that they the other day or the other week, yes. I guess, that you would like how Hermione was treated. Did that pay off? Yes. All right. Yes. I just, I wanted it like, I wanted more, but. Me too. It would have been um, great to like watch her yeah. raise Azkaban or do other crazy shit. Yeah, that would have been cool too. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of, I wanted her to be more of like an influence um, towards the end of the plot. And she's more just kind of a, you know, the, the thing that gets wrapped up. Um, she's like the the setup to be the influence over the rest yeah, of the plot, yeah. but the plot we don't get to see. Yeah, um, but no, I still really like it. It was still really good. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it was a good it was a good wrap up. I like like the tone of it all was good, and like this is like the the most important you know character relationship in the in the book, and that's what we focused on. So no, it was a good ending. I liked it. Nice. Well, I'm glad. I'll let you drive if you want, or I can just start talking about what happens. But um, I mean, the whole thing takes place over the course of what I'm guessing is like an hour sitting in Harry's dope ass office. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all just entirely in this room. Yeah, we get a little description of like it's in the it obeys Hogwarts physics, where it's sort of in a place that can't exist while it can see things, but you can't see it. Um, and Harry toyed with a little bit of like he wanted to have a. Uh, his uh, general chaos throne brought up so he could sit it. And then he's like, uh, you know, this whole fascination with thrones thing feels a bit quarrel. So I mean, there's probably nothing wrong with it. But why don't we just hold off on that for a while? Yeah. Let, let's, let's put a pin in that. <laughs> where that was coming from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was kind of like a, one of the kind of bigger vibes from this chapter was like Harry's both kind of like, a, like a humility uh, to just like the way he's thinking and the way, especially the way he interacts with, Hermione, but also just kind of a like a healthy sort of doubting of himself, um, and so you know, not like this, not some kind of neurotic like, oh, I'm just this ghost of Voldemort, and all I ever want to do is stuff to glorify my amazingness. He's just more like, you know what? Let's just hold off on that and think about it for a while. So yeah, it's good. I think this is the the proper use of humility. Like yeah. he's not doing the whole like, oh, I can't be sure about anything because. You know, I, I'm, I've obviously been stupid this whole time. I might as well not even try. It's like more like, you know what? I see that I fucked up. I don't know exactly how to do better, but I'm going to try. And yeah. like, that is the way that I think that's, that's the proper framing that one ought to use when thinking in humble terms. Yeah. And I think like in his old MO would have been to like use some very kind of logical rationalization for, you know, basically like trying to ethically, ethically sign off on the thing he wants to do anyway. So then he can just kind of run off with it. Um, and, you know, spending a lot of calories in his brain uh, doing that. And that's when he's just kind of like, you know what, let's just, we don't need to do that. Let's hold off. Yeah, absolutely. He's got this line about like, um, speaking of humility, uh, it wasn't that Harry had gone down the wrong path. It wasn't that the road to sanity lay somewhere outside of science, but reading science papers hadn't been enough. All that cognitive yeah. psychology papers had known about bugs in the human brain and so on had helped, but it hadn't been sufficient. He had failed to reach what Harry 
was starting to realize was a shockingly high standard of being so incredibly, unbelievably rational that you actually started to get things right, as opposed to having a handy language in which to describe afterwards everything you'd just done wrong. And like it's, that, it's almost like he realized that you can't be right; he could only be less wrong. Oh, that's the name of the show. I don't know if that, if that was audible. You said less wrong, but yes. there was a whisper that might not make it to audio. Um, yeah, I mean, there there is a goal where you know you can actually get shit right, but that's what I like about this is like that is a, a shockingly high standard, and like this is the way that I use it most of the time in my real life, and that I see it used most often is where people will be like, oh, I fucked up. That's the planning fallacy, or that was optimism, you know, uh, or whatever optimism bias, or um, and and it's. It doesn't well, mean that like, that's useless, like, but no, you, have to, you have to do something with that going forward. Yeah, but there's also like no value in telling yourself that you got it right. Value in trying to get it right, but if you completely got it right but are still wondering that maybe you didn't get it completely right, that's a completely perfect way to end that. Well, I mean, not. I, can you elaborate on that? Because I feel like... St- you know, still thinking like, oh, because you're not ever going to actually know that you got something you know entirely perfectly right if there's even such a thing. So like, there's no losing any doubt around whether or not you're right or wrong. Um, like there's no value to losing the doubt. Constantly doubt, like constantly trying to get it right um, is good and getting it entirely right is good. But getting it entirely right and thinking you got it entirely right are like not at all the same thing. And the other ones, you know, okay, thinking I, you got I, it entirely right doesn't buy you anything other than starting to think you're the kind of person that always gets things right. I think I see what you're saying. I think I, I was thinking about different kinds of goals. So like if, uh, if your question is like, did I solve this, you know, whatever mysterious physics problem, I mean, you can be pretty sure you got it right, but, you know, calibrating your doubt properly to be like, well, I might be wrong and hopefully history will, you know, improve on that is one thing. But like, if you set an object level goal for like, I want to be able to bench press 200 pounds by the end of next year or something, you will know if you got that right. And like, there are right and wrong ways to go about, to go about achieving that goal. And so like, you could fail and be like, oh, well, you know what? My acrasia just, you know, crept in because of these factors and I failed for these reasons. And like, that's all you know, gently. The stuff that's like objectively measurable isn't the interesting question about whether or not you did something perfectly right. It's, I guess, it's, yeah, maybe if you've done it perfectly stuff. right, you could have done it in, in 11 months instead of 12, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but even, I mean, and it's more like the stuff that's like actually sort of like, you know, lifelong significant. Right. Um, you know, I see. But, yeah, I think I just, I wanted to, to draw some light that there is like, there's the high level goal of like, all right, let's, let's go ahead and, like use the the methods of rationality to try and solve future problems, you know, in the correct way before they show up or, you know, before they become too big. And there's also the, like the, the tools apply equally to, to small, low level problems. Like I want to make more money or I want a better yeah. job or I want, uh, well, yeah. That, and that's the trying, trying to be right. As opposed to thinking you are right. Like the, the thinking you're right gives you nothing. It doesn't add value to anything. Eh. I mean, you've got to think you're right enough to try to do the thing you're trying to do. Um, you know, no, if, you got, yeah, but if like at work, you were constantly yeah, paralyzed by the fact, that like, oh, I, I might, I might not be right about this. Well, it's like, yeah, you no, still got to yeah, do something. Not, yeah, not paralyzed, but the like, you know, it's possible I could do this better, and I should probably keep trying. Oh yeah, like, no, a, if, that. if you are already accidentally in the perfect state and it's unimprovable, but you still think it could possibly be improved, that's a lovely state to be in. I hear what you're saying because you're almost never going to be in that state anyway. Right. You're way more likely to be mistaken that you got it entirely right than mistaken that 
you have it partially wrong. There's that line. It's like, but more importantly, you're less likely to be a dick about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Yeah. The chapter opens up. He's, he's kind of doing a lot of what we've seen him do throughout the book, which is a lot of fun. Cause this, this has more of, like you said, that kind of um, like, I don't know. I would call it like more of like an adult humility level framing of everything, but yeah. he, and the fact that he even acknowledges this outright, he's, he's sitting there thinking about like, well, I wonder, you know, could the tearing apart the stars be Dyson spheres? Cause that's actually good news. And yeah. um, it's uh, like, at, at yeah, the, kind at, of like, like he lets that work in both ways. Like that doubt could also work in his favor sometimes. Yeah. I like to like that, like the whole humility thing here is like explicitly tied to all the rationality stuff he's been thinking and working with the whole time. Absolutely. And what I like about too is all of his reflections, just like at the meta level are just him trying not to think about the fact that Hermione is on her way over. Yeah. yeah. And he, he like, so we've seen him do this before where he's like stressed and he'll jump to like some Spocky and science level, Mm -hmm. like just to kind of like couch his, his, uh, it's it's like a safe little shelter. Like that's a, that's a more controllable world. Exactly. And now he's fully aware that like, yep, I'm thinking about this to avoid thinking about Hermione coming over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, I will let you pick up the plot points. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The thing I like, so he's sort of like thinking about um, what it must have been like for Dumbledore um, when like everything that Dumbledore, what, what must've been going through Dumbledore's head during all of the kind of complicated uh twists and turns he was trying to orchestrate um and like and part of that being like how wildly unlikely it was that it would work out the way it did but that this is pretty close to the outcome Dumbledore was shooting for the whole time and so he's kind of like wow that was a long shot um but then uh and, and then the, uh, so the quote I pulled about it was, the prophecies had instructed Dumbledore to have Tom Riddle's intelligence copied onto the brain of a wizarding infant who would then grow up learning muggle science. What did it say about the likely shape of the future if that was the first or best strategy the seers could find that didn't lead to catastrophe? Um, so I like, he's just trying to picture, and then you know, we picture along with him, like what kind of weird, you know, long game Dumbledore had been playing the whole time and how like bizarrely far-fetched the whole thing was. Yeah, it's kind of puts like Dumbledore's seeming madness in an awesome perspective where it's like he's the only person that knows the world is like, yeah. like just zooming towards ca- calamity and, and destruction. And he's like, and, he's the only one that has read that read all the prophecies before he shut down the prophecy machine. Right. And yeah. so like for him, he's, um, he's fully aware of everything that's going to he, he at least knows the shape of the future. And it's terrifying. And so like, when he, I don't know, goes back to his job. You know, every, every moment of every day, he's got to be trying to plan, like, how do I keep the world from ending? Like, what a uh, just and then too, all of his cryptic hints on how to fix it are like insane little things like, yeah, I smashed a rock on your windowsill. I gave you the, the sleep or the, the sleep cycle extending potion that we give to students, time turners, um, all of the like. All of the little, like, I just to me, I think I just think of the Didn't Smashing Harry's pet rock level of things where it's like <laughs> that's the level of random shit he's been having to do, not knowing why. Like, what yep. was it? So, what and what was the outcome of smashing? Like, what did smashing the pet rock did? What? Um, I think it was funny. Uh, like, well, I mean, okay, so like, like in the, in like the universe level specific, explanation, like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Some, like, specific like, plot point that was advanced by smashing the rock. If it was, it was subtle and like not clear. And like, that's probably the, the, the theme of a lot of the random shit Dumbledore had to do. I, I know there's been discussion about that. Like on the one hand, it kept him from getting a pet. 
um, because that was his reason for not wanting an owl. Not sure how that would have helped, you know, the the navigating through time's narrow keyhole. Um, It gave him, I guess, trust and concern issues that maybe actually did help. Um, But (laughs) but there there wasn't like some specific plot point that we got this like, aha, and that's because of the rock being. No. Yeah. Unlike him, unlike Dumbledore writing in his mom's potions textbook or letting Voldemort learn the prophecy. There's as far as I know, there was no obvious altering his sleep cycle. That kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. As far as I know, there's no obvious thing. Oh yeah. Because, because the ultimate sleep thing. cycle is just the justification to get him to have a time turner, which allows all the, like, so the, him cheating with the time turner was the reason to give him the time turner. Exactly. The sleep like, thing was the excuse to get him the time turner. Right. So it's not clear whether the prophecy said, you know, and the one who won't destroy life on earth must be able to move through time or something, or if it meant mm-hmm. like, if it was something more obvious or less obvious, who knows? But yeah, the, the consequence of the, that is, you know, Harry has to have a time turner. The consequence of his mom uh, learning how to make the whatever, I forget what it was called. The There's some potion that she made to make Petunia pretty. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that that ended up with him growing up in a nice house, not in the yeah. closet with the Dursleys. Um, Did we ever have it laid out? Because it talked about like, uh, so it had instructed Dumbledore to have Tom Riddle's intelligence copied onto the brain of a wizarding infant. Was that that level of Dumbledore knowing the full story laid out? Did we know... Because I think, like, from the only the things I can remember about what we were told about Dumbledore's actions, that that maybe he only knew, okay, here's this kid, and you need to like guide him towards, you know, yada yada. But like, what what Harry's saying right here is that like, no, Dumbledore knew that he needed to create Harry. I think that, that it was he, all like from the beginning. Dumbledore did all of it. I think the prophecies instructed Dumbledore to do that without Dumbledore necessarily knowing exactly what he was doing. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe there was a prophecy about how the Dark Lord needed to learn about the prophecy of, of his own destruction or something. Yeah. And so, mean, I mean, what the consequence of that was, was that, you know, we got an infant with Tom Riddle's cognitive patterns yeah. and intelligence. But, like, I think Dumbledore said he didn't realize what he had done until, like, Harry marched into his office to blackmail him and Snape to, like, get Snape to be, stop abusing mm-hmm. kids. So, at that point, that's when Dumbledore realized, oh, I made a nice Tom Riddle. And that's when he, like, had that hysterical laughing fit. Yeah, but uh, but what so Harry's saying here though is that because well, no, Harry's it says had instructed Dumbledore to have Tom Riddle's intelligence copied onto the brain of a wizarding infant. That to me sounds like Dumbledore knew that he was causing that to happen. Like it wasn't just that like oh do some stuff and, and this happens and he didn't know it. That that Dumbledore did something that he knew the goal was that uh, Tom Riddle would imprint on Harry Potter and that like I didn't. I don't so think I read that Dumbledore. That. I hear what you're saying. I, mean, I think that, that I don't think Dumbledore needed. Yeah, I don't think. I, Sorry, go ahead. I, yeah, that's my that's my confusion about like this sentence. To me, sounds like it's saying Dumbledore knew he was making a Voldemort Harry Potter and did it on purpose. But to me, when I read that, I'm like, did we already know that? Because to me, that was like, oh, I guess that's the like that was news to me. But that sounds like does that sound like what that sentence says to you? Not exactly. To me, it sounds like like the prophecies also instructed Dumbledore to teach Lily Evans how to make a potion of beauty or whatever mm-hmm. um there's no way i mean there's it, it's not necessary for that to mean that the, the prophecies instructed him why he's doing that okay. like you're so the prophecies told him you know it, i can imagine that the prophecies instructed dumbledore to let this you know the events of halloween and voldemort's death happen the way they did without them telling him why he's got to do it um yeah. so it's just like yeah they the, the prophecies made told dumbledore to let this happen but it didn't say like let what you know what the fallout of that would be. 
Um, I, I, I guess I like to imagine that Dumbledore is operating mainly from a position of like, I have no idea why I'm doing the things I have to do, which is probably part of why he got this awesome, you know, or this reputation as a, uh, you know, an insane guy, but with a, you know, a talent for seeing the future or something, right? Yeah, I guess. Well, I, I also like the idea of he knew exactly the ridiculous, you know, series of events he was trying to put together and he knew how thoroughly unlikely it was to all work and that he also knew how crazy the things could be. I mean, because if it was important to smash the rock because it does a certain particular thing that all of those behaviors like that are going to look like he's a crazy person. And so then he consciously decides to play that up because that's a good way to get people not to pay too much attention to all the weird shit he does. (laughs) Um, So I like that idea because then that's sort of like, like a, it makes him this like, super not just he's like skilled wizard but he's just sort of this like extremely canny person uh but then also is you know completely invisibly to everybody dealing with like the stress and anxiety of the fate of the universe hinges on all of these thoroughly unlikely you know that you roll a hard 12 over and over and over again Um, right yeah i i like it either way and i think that's kind of fun to think about like how much of the things were specific like I, i i strongly suspect that him giving harry quote his father's rock was prophesied instruction like you know mm-hmm. i can't imagine what that phrase was, would have been like his father's, what was the it let him what was it let was him kill the troll i was oh, it is that was his oh did he crush the troll with his father? i can't even remember how that shit worked. uh he flew it into he, his mouth and then he flew the little oh, gem man. into his mouth then expanded it and blew his head off his, yeah, I gotcha. yeah and then he shoved his wand through its eye socket and transfigured part of his I brain into sulfuric acid that was that was the gorier one so that's what stuck in my out in my head more um so like oh, that's right because he like I don't blew know up its if, head but because it's a troll it was like already healing from having its head blown up right so like i i wonder i don't think the prophecies like have to give reasons for why they're telling you to do stuff they're just saying this is what has to happen yeah. and so like i doubt that it said so that he can kill a troll in six months or whatever it was probably more like uh you know, or the, or the world will end, right? Like that's probably how all these prophecies end. You know, the, what was the backstory for the rock? Was it actually his father's rock? And then why did his father have a rock? I, I doubt it was actually his father's rock. So it's just like, here's a fucking rock. Like uh, probably uh, give him a rock. Tell him it's his father's. It, it might've been from the rubble of the house for reasons unknown, but I, I don't think the origin of the rock, like it didn't matter what it was made of. It just needed to be a big rock. Yeah. So I, I imagine that like most of Dumbledore's moves were just like, okay, I'm moving this chess piece where the fates told mm-hmm. me to, and I don't see where this is going. But if you say wonder, so, yeah, I wonder how long it, like, how long did he have to like sort of blindly do those things before he started to see that like, oh, okay, that actually accomplished one of these goals. Maybe there's something to it. I gotta think for a while he's just kind of doing shit, and he's just like, I don't know what the fuck is this doing. That's sort of what I'm picturing too. There's no benefit at all to any of it. But I think by the time he like he sees that like like the first one would be like, oh, like. Uh, uh, well, no, I guess if the first one was just to cause, uh, well, so no, he did whatever and, uh, and killed, killed the not killed Voldemort the first time. Um, but what, so if it's saying like, okay, instructed him to have Tom Riddle's intelligence copied onto the brain, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it was the, but he did arrange the prof, the told the, had Snape overhear the prophecy, uh, knowing that Snape would repeat it to Voldemort so that Voldemort would go and try to kill, to kill Harry. Uh, and that was all on purpose because that's how you made a uh, Tom Riddle Harry. Yeah, I, I think that like the prophecies instructed him to like let Voldemort learn of that prophecy or something. Mm-hmm. 
And then like all the fallout of that might have been a mystery as to what you know was going on. He probably realized something good happened when Voldemort died that night. Um, or, you know, was temporarily yeah. vanquished. But like as far as the rest of it, you know, it's I, I just I get the I, I imagine Dumbledore operating mainly from a position of like, I have no idea why I'm doing the things what I'm doing. I think that's even in one of his letters, like uh to Harry that something like um I, I, I think he does say, I think that's specifically about the rock, but for the most part, like, I think he was just doing things that he was told, yep, this will help the world not end. And he's like, okay, if you say so, I will teach this girl how to make a potion to make people pretty. I will, uh, I'll give this kid a rock. I, you know, like all this yeah. random shit. And it's not until later, like you said, where things start coming together. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, now I see where that one went. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see where that And there would have been like an early payoff for that because because he did say like one of the prophecies he read, we don't know if maybe he read it later, but that like, because one of the letters was, okay, you get to read this after you destroy Voldemort. And uh, that, that and it was because a prophecy told him that he would, that he knew that. So he must have, he knew that there was, you know, some, he knew some things were going to happen in advance. So yeah. at first payoff when... Voldemort, and I guess he knew. So the first time when he became the boy who lived, everybody thought Voldemort was dead, but Dumbledore knew he wasn't. But that would at least be like, okay, that was good progress, right? That was a thing I did that paid off. So that that would probably get you through the like the next few years of thinking you're just like smashing rocks for no reason. <laughs> God, yeah. So yeah, just I mean, Dumbledore's whole last whatever decade or so, or no, I'm not sure what he listened to the prophecies. So maybe last fifteen years, like. Everything he's just doing is, oh yeah, wait, it's it's October twentieth. I've got to go, like I've got to go throw a penny in the street over here, and I'm not <laughs> sure why. Yeah, like I, I just imagine most of his life is doing crazy shit like that and not really knowing what's going on. His wizard phone wakes up, gives him a reminder. Right. His <laughs> Hogwarts mail calendar. He must also have an uncannily good Which memory because he says that he listens to every prophecy ever recorded and then destroyed the records. So it's like what you just memorized all of them, but that makes sense. Dumbledore's Dumbledore. Yeah, I uh, know he probably like, you know, reads one and then like uh, files that away in the pensive. Oh, good point. That's I forgot like they've a, got magic uh, record keeping. I imagined him kind of like, and this obviously makes no sense, but you remember like the Hall of Prophecy from the movies mm -hmm. where it's just shelves on shelves of those orbs. I kind of yeah. imagined him just smashing all of them and like listening to them simultaneously and just soaking it all in. But um, well, I, I still like I, the idea that, of, that like, actually makes no sense. Hallway, so grab yeah. one of those little crystal balls, like watch it and be like, okay, that's good. Smash that one on the floor. Grab the next one. Yeah, right, he's like speed reading prophecies out of the speed reading crystal balls. So. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot more sense than just my like badass way of imagining him doing it. <laughs> no, so no, he's got the pensive in one hand. He grabs crystal ball with the other. He reads it. He's like, oh, okay, got it. And then he pulls out his wand, puts the thought into the pensive, and just keeps on. He's like filing. If only he had a tape recorder. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um. Yeah, and then Harry becomes the other quote I pulled. Harry, sort of consciously aware of of what I've been saying all along, how mm -hmm. fucked up it was to have this huge blind spot with Quirrell. He said, and the whole thing with Harry having spent the last year cozying up to the defense professor, didn't speak highly of his intellect either. It seemed to point to the same problem. Even there were things Harry had known or strongly suspected on some level, but never promoted to conscious attention, and so he had failed and nearly died. I liked about this too because like this is put like both in a um sort of like a you know personal humility kind of thing but it's also like very um you know rationalist in in its just phrasing that like oh i had biases that were having you know that had me overlook these things that should have been obvious so it's sort of like like ties those together that you know 
this kind of more appealing, you know, humility, just sort of character trait, you know, is compatible and even a result of, you know, those rationalist techniques. Yeah, totally. And like the other thing too, is this is like one of the, the main like level up moves that he's trying to do here. He's like, it says that he'd been aware of it on some level, but never promoted to conscious attention. And he's like, I need to stop being aware of things on some level and just start actually promoting them to attention so I can like look at them rather than be vaguely aware of it. Um, and like we get a couple of these, even in this chapter where he asks Hermione, like, where do, you, where do you think my dark side came from? And she gives a plausible answer. And he's like, Jesus Christ, I didn't even like bother trying to think of an answer. Yeah. Like I just vaguely suspected a connection. I didn't spend five minutes thinking, I wonder if what this has to do or where this came from. He's just like, you know what? This makes sense for a young boy moving off to wizard school. This is awesome. I've read enough books. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like it's. Uh, I really it, am just that amazing. Right. Uh, well, of course, my life's mysterious. I just got a wand and got, you know, uh on a train to go to, to go to magic school. Like, you know, this, this makes perfect sense literally what's going on, but the, the level of like, okay, no, I need to actually start being aware of things. Um, That's what's funny. Like for this whole story though, like that, that level of like, you know, being perfectly comfortable with the idea of, of himself as master of the universe and always the smartest person in whatever room he walks into. Um, like we're seeing that as well. Yeah. Cause he's like, you know, part, Voldemort 60 year old man and like already super competent because he's, you know, got the soul of a full grown person injected into him. Like, so that's the explanation. But like, on the other hand, this way Harry acts that like that he has done a great job of growing out of, but that was like really off putting in the beginning is so relatable. Like that's like the quintessential nerd arrogance, um, which I fully cop to like, you know, doing as well. And as I've said over and over again, why it bothered me so much. But it's sort of funny, like in this story, it has to be explained as well, because he's half Satan, um, but he's acting in a way that like, I think for all of us, like this is such a, such a familiar, recognizable behavior of like, oh, I'm just so much smarter than all of you. I think that's just good storytelling. Like if his, you know, if his weird adult side manifested as just like overt magical power or something, it would be less like, uh, I guess, like less satisfying almost. But like having it be something that like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe he's just an arrogant, you know, but also competent like this, this, this feeds into all my nerd fantasies. I can just give this the benefit of the doubt and move, move with it. But well, and it's like, and that's the way that sort of like makes it relatable to, you know, us humans that are actually going to read this book. Like we're, none of us are going to ever be presented with the situation where we have to decide whether we, you know, feel like destroying all of humanity or ruling as a fascist dictator. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not a, a ethical uh, puzzle you're we're ever gonna have to solve but like a real thing and it's especially like a thing that's typical among you know us kind of people that would read this kind of book like like arrogance is a thing that everybody you know has has to watch out for and would and you know everybody has some different levels of problems with but Harry's the very kind of nerd kind of arrogant that I think we specifically are more likely to have so this is sort of like it kind of relates you know this sort of growth thing that Harry goes through um, we get to see it in these sort of more, like way more dramatic, like, oh, you're fighting, you know, fighting the Dark Lord wizard. Uh, but it like relates back to a thing that's actually going to be like rele- it's relevant to me. Like, I remember this. Yeah. Um, I still do this. Um, I think that's I think, like I said, that that's what makes it uh, like a good choice to have it present this way. So, like, yeah. you know, it it's given away that like, yeah, he's he acts like this because in his head. Like there's not just a regular 11 year old. There's also a, a psychopath 60 something year old. And so like his arrogance with like his normal muggle peers at school and elementary school or whatever, like 
it was kind of completely justified. Like, yeah. you know, he, he understands everything that they, that they don't because he's learning at an adult level from the crit, you know, from basically when he's in the cradle. Right. And so yeah. like it, so that doesn't mean that like being arrogant is good, but it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I get why you're arrogant because you've always been smarter than everyone around you because you're not really a kid. Um, and so, yeah, but, but it's, like so said, there's what, the, like, yeah, the, awareness of it. because I guess like for me, it's the, like, so Harry does a thing that, that I, so, you know, I can't relate to, I want to, you know, kill a bunch of people and rule over the nation and I'm a racist fuck. Like those are all like so alien that I'm not gonna be able to relate to it, but like that behavior, like, you know, Harry acting that way, then I can look at like, okay, you know, sometimes I look down my nose at people less smart than me and try to tell myself that I'm better than them. And I'm really just trying to, you know, compensate for some other thing I'm feeling shitty about at the expense of other people to make myself feel better. Like that's a thing I do that Harry does. And I don't like that. And, and no, that doesn't make me Hitler, but that's, you know, Satan compatible behavior that maybe I don't like and so Harry much. doesn't like that about himself either, right? Yeah. And that, that's what, that's yeah, what makes and this... That's, uh, and yeah, and that's, what, and that's what goes through. And so that's what I like. Like, it's a way to, like, tie back because these, like, huge, ginormous, you know, melodrama things, which are, like, totally fun, but, like, you need to tie them back to something that we're going to be able to relate to. And I like that. that like, we Absolutely. That connection between the small things all the way up to, you know, Dyson spheres. And that's, I think, like, the one of the cruxes of good storytelling. You know, you need, you need good characters that, like, make you know yes you want cool stuff to happen but you want it to happen to people that you care about and that you can identify with yeah. like i'm trying to think of you know like um like mark mark watney in the martian you know like all of his badass science shit that he does you're like oh that's awesome i wouldn't have thought of that or that's really cool because you know th- that'll make sense but like the moments where i really felt like i understood mark watney is like where he's describing the crushing boredom of driving for 20 days to go pick up this piece of a satellite or something right like yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, like I don't need to be, you know, a a a rocket scientist to to relate to that. I can relate to that because I I can imagine you're painting such a good picture that I imagine where that's coming from, and you're you're putting it together so well. So, see, and that's um, the same reason why I like Marvel heroes better than DC heroes because yes, I think the term I heard was street level heroes. Yes, was but I think I heard that in the context of a DC fan describing. I think they were looking down their nose. Um, but that, yeah, because sort of like the Supermans and the Flashes and the, and the Wonder Womans, they're also like, like super, you know, they're just super powerful in all the things and, and just kind of like larger than life. Um, and like, and I'm sure like other stories have been added on later to give them more, make them more three-dimensional, but that's sort of like, they started from this way more two-dimensional place, but like Marvel's shtick from the beginning, like, you know, as early as Spider-Man, like these were always, you know, flawed people with complicated backstories that you know fed into the kind of person that they are and so they were all like always kind of more um i mean street level is a good kind of good term for it like still as people still relatable as you know mere mortals while having these other kind of powers on on top of that Uh, whereas dc always came across like superman's just sort of at least like the the og original superman is a very just kind of um gee whiz you know 1950s square jawed you know complete you know, entirely stable and trustworthy and, but completely lacking like any actual personality to it. Um, and I was never like into any of those. So I'm sure there has since been plenty of humanizing and, and making Superman complicated and they did a great job of rescuing Batman, but that's because uh, that's the Alan Moore exception. But, yeah. I mean, they like the, the street tier level hero, you know, like Spider-Man the, I think the, they even use that in the MCU movies where it's like, yeah, you need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. 
Like yeah. he's gonna, he's not even gonna really cover all of the city because it's too big. He'll cover Queens, right? Like this is, uh, like he's he's not going to be able to stop a you know Galactus from swinging in and swallowing the Earth because he punches hard and he's got fast reflexes, right? Like that's his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, like Luke Cage can take a bullet, but he can't uh, again you know, beat up Dormammu or Superman or something. Right. Like that's not the point. The point is like you could watch Spider-Man or Luke Cage or, you know, uh, cap or Iron Man or whatever. Thor is kind of the exception, but he's weak enough in the MCU where you can get stabbed. But like you can watch them struggle. You can see them in real danger. And like that to me makes it more compelling. I like, that was one of the great quotes from the Batman versus Superman movie when, uh, Batman is, I think he's gassed Superman at that point. He says, you're not brave. Men are brave. And what he means by that is like, look, it's not brave. If you're in no danger, you're yeah. just doing the things you can do. Like bravery means I'm, I'm putting myself at risk to do the right thing. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny about, uh, <laughs> speaking of tangents, uh, that Thor, Thor is also like one of my top three or four favorite superheroes. Same um, as Stanley made Thor because he was bored of having the Incredible Hulk being the strongest uh, hero in their comic books. He's like, you know, I want to see what happens if you bring in somebody stronger than Hulk. He's like, but you can't do that. How you, the only way you could do that would be to bring in a god. <laughs> I'm glad he went with Thor and not Jesus. That would have been really funny. <laughs> Thor's, Thor's uh, feats make him more fun on the screen than Jesus's, though. Uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus would be sort of like a he had sort of like Hawkeye kind of powers where you're like, really? What, like, how does that pay? Like, hey, you can walk on water. Oh, we save money on the food budget. Cool. I mean, yeah, he's the cleric of the party. (laughs) I just need resurrections and healing. Like, we go there, but, you know, he can't tank. Love it. All right. So let's see. So, yeah, we go. So, yeah, so he's like, so all of this is just, he's in the like, oh my God, Hermione's going to show up. And he's super nervous that she's going to be all pissed off at him. And I think initially we're not, we're not entirely sure what specifically he's worried about. Uh, that she'd be mad about, but as they talk, we hear it's more. He's uh, and in a very like this is. I think we're sort of like emphasizing all of the the ways that like Harry has changed, and so like what stands out in this chapter are all the things that are kind of new about him. And so his big worry about Hermione being mad is because he feels really bad about all the decisions he had to make about her life for her without her permission because he didn't because it was either make them for her or let opportunities slide and so he he did them and he did them in the way that he thought was best and that she would want but it was he felt terrible that you know he was deciding her life for her and so he's trying to minimize the amount that he did that as much as he can while acknowledging that he can't undo everything he did i think there's also the level i i totally agree but i I think there's also the level that like you know, when Hermione learns that there was tons of dark magic involved in her resurrection, like she wouldn't be stoked on that fact, right? Yeah. And I could imagine Harry from 50 chapters ago saying, look, I brought you back to life. I did the right thing. Like in this, but in this, like, again, I kind of Harry 2.0, he's thinking, okay, yeah, I understand how, you know, she might actually be upset about that. And I'm prepared to acknowledge the fact that this, you know, uh, like there's, there might be some legitimate reason for her to be upset. And but she's obviously understanding and cool with it because she likes not being dead. So, um, not being dead is tight, right? <laughs> um, but so Hermione shows up. But I just, I just like how he's like rather than saying nope, I did the right thing because I got the outcome that was optimal. Like you know, I, I could imagine the kind of more arrogant yeah, like saying that. Harry. 
but he but he's but, not going there. Yeah, you can imagine like old Harry sort of being like, "Are you smart enough to realize that the choices I made for you were the right one, or are you just going to have to you know wait to become smart enough to realize I did the right thing?" Right, and he even offers when they're talking about like you know he can kind of roll back most of the things he did, yeah. um, and just like look, we can just let you be a person again. Like that's that's the most important thing. I figured while I was there and I had five minutes to do stuff. I would set things up so it made it look like you're this, you know, heroic, mythical badass like people think about me. Yeah. But and he has a lot of ways. Like he could justify a lot of the things he did, but he doesn't try to because uh, he does. Right. He like jumps down to the like to the. He's like none of that matters when you get down to. I made a whole bunch of super important life decisions for you, and you didn't have, you know, a say. So any other kind of you know justifications I could come up with don't really change that. So he doesn't even bother. Totally. And because, and everything he did do was the, like his best guess as to, you know, the combination of what's right and what would Hermione want without having to worry too much that there's any daylight between those two things. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's awesome. And this is also my obligatory episode plug for listening to the audiobook. Uh, <laughs> Hermione's voice actress does an awesome job. Uh, and like, it's interesting. And I'm sure you've heard enough of it to like just get the pros difference between like Inyash doing like the narration and like doing the voice. Yeah. Um, but he, he like, there's bits where you know, like Harry's all nervous and stuff, and like that comes through with the voice. Like it's not merely reading; he he voice acts the hell out of this, and it's awesome. He goes up an octave for Harry. Yeah. So um, yeah, Hermione shows up, and she's immediately like she's buffed. Right. She, like floats up the ladder. It was a ladder, right? What's the ladder to get in here? Yeah, but she like so, she ascends it seemingly without yeah. effort. Yeah. Yes. Um. So yeah, it's, and it's sort of like she's sort of like newly aware. So it's not at all lost on her that she's you know that she's buffed. Um, but she, it sort of kind of gives off the vibe like it's still sort of new to her. Um, she's only been back a day and hasn't chance to do, hasn't had a chance to test anything. <clears throat> is this well back a day? But I, yeah, I guess I haven't kept track. Like how many days after being revived is this? Uh, I think it's. I think yeah, she got revived June like fifteenth. We could go back and. I think she got revived around like 10 p.m. I think two nights ago. Oh, okay, so, so it's pretty fast. Yeah, so like she she was in the hospital for like a full day, and this is the next morning. Oh, and so his whole conversation with McGonagall and Snape, um, and was that was that? So it was McGonagall and Snape? Doesn't matter. McGonagall, Snape, and Moody. Is that who was in the room? Uh, there was the one with Bones, <clears throat> Moody, oh, and McGonagall, and then there was the Snape one, and then the that was all the, that was all the day before this. Then I think so. Yeah, that was an eventful day. Harry needs a day off. Right. And so, yeah, so like Hermione mentions that when I was in the hospital bed, they drew my blood and I wiped the blood spot away and there was no hole. Like I bent a piece of my bed frame without really trying to. And I haven't, I haven't had a chance to test it yet. Fingernails. Right. She's like, I haven't had a chance to test it yet, but I feel like I can run really fast. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like that was, that was another, that's another thing I liked about this whole, the tone of this chapter is like, it has this kind of awesome, like, serious kind of finale whatever closure vibe but punctuated with bits of humor that like yeah. aren't it reminded me a lot of like of how uh when snape says drop dead potter like as his sort of like going away thing it's sort of like it's a kind of a lightness that's also like serious not serious but like like has like emotional weight to it but without trying to be you know somber about it right there there are definitely moments where there's emotional humor but then there's also just like She's like, I can't cut my fingernails. You realize how this might be a problem? And he's like, oh, the Weasleys have a magic sword that might work. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you can ask him every couple weeks if you can borrow the sword of Gryffindor to carefully shave your fingernails. 
It's awesome. Okay, so now I, so it went it, it, he went to some specificity in describing her robes as blue. And have I just got this all wrong in my head? That isn't blue the Hufflepuff color? I thought blue was Ravenclaw and yellow was Hufflepuff. I f- huh? no, because it isn't green. It's like green yellow is Ravenclaw, I think. Because they're always green is like Slytherin. Two colors usually. Oh no, no, green, no the, silver, the house Slytherin. the house has two colors. But I think the the green trimmed robes are the Slytherin, red trimmed for uh, Gryffindor, yellow oh, trimmed for Hufflepuff, and blue for Ravenclaw. Yellow, I think that seem... It's definitely yellow is their primary know. color. I think it's like yellow like and brown, maybe. If Hermione, had just, if Hermione had just become a Hufflepuff, you wouldn't be not aware of that. Right. And <laughs> like robes aside, I think she still is in the house that she sorted into. Yeah. But uh, I like where um, she, she tells him, uh, well, there's a couple things. One, when she hugs him, like she was gentle, like she was aware yeah. that she could accidentally break him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's like, "Yeah, I knew it was you who was there, but I didn't say anything." He's like, "Oh, like what did what do you think happened?" Well, like just given how every everything was so how fucking bizarre, I knew that this. Oh, oh, this is Harry Potter, right? <laughs> um, like she said, I'm not gonna make the same mistake like I did last time with <laughs> Tracy. That incident in the hallway with all the bullies. <laughs> So she's like, oh, yeah, next time I do something was that fucking weird. My, my mind went straight to you. And he's like, yeah, good call. Um, and so, like, th- this is where we kind of finally get to imagine. Well, she tells us, but, like, it didn't really occur to me to imagine what it was like waking up as Hermione in the graveyard. So yeah. she's she's like, Harry, and he doesn't answer. She sits up and the bloody hands of Voldemort slide down her shirt, leaving little bits of flesh behind. And then she looks and around. Get, and, look, and they're like, I believe he's described as being, like, a lot like the Voldemort in the movie. So these would be, like, creepy, long-ass, ghoulish fingernails with, with reptilian skin and exactly but also bloody stumps yeah so they're like they were there were bloody stumps you could see scale marks on them but like i think it also described yeah the the unusually long spidery fingernails and yeah. all the I was like, that's always like the thing that sticks out for with ray finds voldemort from the movies like the weird way he would hold the the wand with his like to make sure that you saw how creepily long his fingers were right even i remember it's that very it's awkward like, weird looking way to hold the wand yeah like his index finger along the front of it behold my fingers so yeah she sees all the skull masks and piles of blood and beheaded bodies and um so then uh she starts like naming off all the she's like oh and then i you know i didn't realize at first it was quarrel but uh until like later but but he looked different which is like reminds us like lets us know that the reason he looked different is because he was no longer the quarrel she knew and he was dead Um, and he was dead that too no but i think she says it was something like you know even that like there's something there's something seemed different about him um, but the, and then she's also like, oh, and they they said, you know, David Monroe sacrificed himself, yada yada. So she's like naming off all like the greatest hits of of everybody that would have been there and has, but has it entirely wrong um, because the official story is entirely wrong. Um, but I do like she's that. Like, but this is probably. Like, but I don't know how much of this is true. It's clearly not all true, though. Yeah, and especially too with the with the David Monroe quarrel bit. She's like, hey, look, you know. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I know I said a lot of nasty things about the defense professor that I shouldn't, you know, that I shouldn't have. And he's like, um, and then she <laughs> nods and she's like, I know you're probably going to say that, you know, all the things you have a right to say, you know, yes, you're right about Coral and I was wrong. You told me so. David Monroe was a little bit dark and a whole lot Slytherin. And it was childish of me to think that that was the same thing as being evil. And he's yeah. like, uh, you know, actually, you know, we can't tell anyone, but you were 112% right. right about him being evil. And I'll remember that for future reference. <laughs> um, um, so it, so her the the uh, quarrel is actually David Monroe 
idea, did she already know that before dying or was that just something she was told in the last 48 hours? Someone must've told her in the last day. Yeah. Cause she was, she was been out of the picture too long to. Yeah. All those revelations came around after. Uh, that, that wasn't even generally known, was it? No, yeah. this, this was known. Like, it wasn't like generally known until like Dumbledore the world like, died. There's only like the few insiders that knew. The right. David so theory. right up until uh, Quirinus Quirrell's death, like everyone just thought like, Everyone didn't know who the professor was, except for the the inside few. And then, like it was announced, uh, whatever, like when they said we're gonna have his funeral and stuff. Um, that was all. Uh, like then it was made public. Then they were gonna have like a ministry other funeral for oh, David Monroe. So like that all came out. Yeah. The big lie about all that business. And David Monroe was never David Monroe. Like the 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 David Monroe that became the hero that everybody. The the actual real David Monroe never did anything of any importance. It was only ever after Voldemort took his place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're worshiping this, this false hero, but we're well, not worshiping, but so the real Quirinus Quirrell was maybe, um, yeah. the real Quirinus yeah. Quirrell was maybe a little more impressive than that. Cause he was at least like enough of an adventurer to stumble onto a Horcrux. Exactly. I think Voldemort says something along the lines of like, David Monroe was a nuisance for my childhood or something. And that's why I mm-hmm. killed him. And then I killed it. Like, so then David Monroe, the actual one was missing for some time, I think decades. And then so, yeah. his whole family's murdered the same day that David Monroe, quote unquote, comes back. Um, <laughs> Which even if there weren't a Voldemort in, involved in that whole thing, if your whole family dies, you've been gone for 17 years, then your whole family dies and you come back, that would be suspicious. Yeah, suspicious indeed. Um, I liked how, oh, this is another nice moment too, um, and this is also really funny in the audiobook, where Harry's like, yeah, you're actually totally right about Quirrell, and, she's, and Hermione just says, oh. And like, it's kind of like the sad thing because she knows that that's hard for Harry. But then he's like, you're not going to say you told me so? His mental model of Hermione was yelling, I told you so. Didn't I tell you so, Mr. Potter? Didn't I tell you? <laughs> Professor Quirrell is evil, I said, but you didn't listen to me. <laughs> and the, the phrase mental models a very rationalist lingo. Eh, I mean, I guess. I, I've been I, familiar I, with I, it. I hadn't heard it at all until coming on to here. And then uh, it, gets, it gets said a lot in chat rooms and stuff. I suppose so. I think, I mean, I, I've been familiar with it since junior high or high school when I was first learning about um, like uh, like basic psychology stuff. But the my first yeah. exposure to it would have been, I don't know, around my mid-teens when I was learning about uh, autism and Asperger's because particularly what, especially uh, people with Asperger's struggle with is making mental models of other people. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I spent a lot of time when I was a kid around, he must have been five or six years younger than me, a kid with Asperger's and like he doesn't realize how annoying he's being because he doesn't like, he's not modeling the people around him the way you and I are. Um, so, so the, the, the phrase mental model have been part of my vocabulary for, I don't know, a long time before coming across it here, but it is definitely used a lot in, uh, you know, rationalist nerdy lingo, but it, it's not like this, uh, oh, yeah, no, it's not popularized. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I heard it before as well, but yeah, no, it's a very, it's a very central concept, uh, it comes up a lot in rational related stuff, especially like in this one where it tries to do like levels of deception. You know, like what is this person yeah. thinking about what I'm thinking? That's all like mental. Does their mental model include my, you know, me doing this or whatever? Like it, it comes up a lot, especially in this book too. Yeah. Um, anyway, sure. then she's asking. This is where she's asking about her her magic powers. Uh, and he's like, oh, and you're probably also wondering why you're radiating an aura of purity and innocence. And I'm what? <laughs> I thought that part was my idea. Honestly, doesn't, please don't kill me. Does trollishness have some kind of aura it radiates too? 
Uh, Radiant an aura of like halitosis and <laughs> aggression. I think that's probably <laughs> squashed by the inner Hermione and the unicorn. Thank goodness it should she not cancel, and she would, it, that should then help sort of like, you know, cancel that out. Maybe. She's not like over the top sweetness and light because she's got a little little troll to spice that up. A right. Stank on it. I don't, <laughs> little secret sauce. <laughs> I don't I don't know if trolls have like aura as part of their magic list of what they do, but you know, they're definitely scary. So and even then too, you know, if you watch this this, you know, small girl with an aura of purity and innocence punch through a brick wall, she's gonna be putting off an aura of scariness and badass mm-hmm. pretty quick. So well, that could be that. That could also be just sort of like the you know righteous paladin vibe, right? <laughs> so she, you know, glow light, et cetera, et cetera. The Weasleys have a magical sword that can trim your fingernails. That line just always <laughs> makes me laugh. Um, so yeah, so she's like, um, so she's basically like, okay, so what the hell's going on with me? How did I get this way? And and then Harry's like, there is a whole lot I need to tell you, but I can only tell you some of it until you really need to take some occlumency classes. Um. You need some mental judo classes before I just start giving you all the secrets. Exactly. And this like bothers Harry more because he's already like <clears throat> super bothered by uh, like how much he's, you know, playing daddy to her, like deciding what's best for her. Um, and he doesn't want to be in that business anymore, but you know, holding things back from her is, you know, continuing to do that. And he really doesn't want to. Um, so he's like, I really, really, really like you to learn Occlumency so I can tell you this stuff. Which is also, but in in itself, is kind of a bossing her around kind of thing. So Harry's in a, in a very awkward, uncomfortable spot with all this. Yeah, and I really like it too because, like, I think I forget at what point exactly he mentions it about like I can't tell you what happened with uh, Voldemort and stuff, but yeah, you didn't actually do anything. That was all me, but don't tell anyone that. Like, if it makes you feel any better, when I quote Vanquish Voldemort when I was a baby, that was all Dumbledore, and he yeah. didn't get any credit for it. So, like, so it's just like I'm passing on the torch. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, um, and I think he even uses Dumbledoring as a verb, which verbing thing uh, yeah. is one of my favorite things to do. So uh, he says, "I'm gonna have to Dumbledore you a bit." <laughs> uh, and I, I guess, like, and this, uh, I got confused about because <clears throat> as we're like going through this whole, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm like, oh, I can't tell you stuff because the fate of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like, there's this very long list of things that she needs to be filled in on. And like, at least for me, and I think part of my confusion was he kept saying that because uh, we'll come to a little bit where he hints at without telling her about his plans to have her destroy Azkaban, um, but he never tells her that that's what it is, but we know that that's what he's talking about. Um, and so that kind of got muddled together with, um, with oh, you need to learn Occlumency. I can't tell you these secret things until you learn Occlumency. Um, and I'm not going to, t- and I can't tell you about Azkaban, but and that gets cleared up a little bit later with like, oh yeah, I can't, but I guess it wasn't that he can't tell her about Azkaban. It's just, he doesn't want to tell her like right, right now until she can like, you know, take a breath and have a Gatorade. Um, right. And, uh, but that, that like confused the whole thing. And then it kept like nagging in the back of my head is like, well, okay, well, why can't she know that? Like, what are the things she can and can't know? Um, and then also probably again, that like on my list of things, like the, like, oh dear God, nobody can ever know that terrible secret. Um, that probably I'm going to be like, eh, sure she could. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, so, that whole I, so the, the fun thing about like him keeping her quest a secret until she decides to accept it, then he'll tell her what it is. Um, mm-hmm. But the, like, remember when he's talking to Amelia bones about like Azkaban's over. And I think Hermione's going to go destroy it. Um, yeah. You know, a, a pork, he would be great, but I think she'll make her own way there. I think what he's trying to set up is like, 
the same thing that almost happened to him is that I think he wants Hermione to get a Phoenix. But if he tells her, by the way, you're immortal and uh, like you're not really in any danger, then the Phoenix won't come to her. Like the Phoenix only comes to those who like have a good chance of dying doing their important mission, right? Uh, see, that, well, then that starts to feel like creepily controlly again. It does. Like, but that, oh, I think that, that's get her mental state into just the right spot to get the Phoenix so that she could do It does. Like, not he, not he, like trusting that, her to just kind of. That's where he says that he's Dumbledore her. Like yeah. it's and like that that part is it's a it's kind of like a bummer, but it's not the kind of thing that I think Hermione would be. Well, I don't know. She might be understandably upset even if she gets a phoenix out of the deal. But well, she's actually, she, actually she's explicitly said to him like you know stop playing God with me. Well, um, she 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 says that, but then she says, yeah, I don't like being uh, like manipulated like that. And yet I can kind of see sometimes the wisdom behind it now that I've actually lost a fight and died. Like, uh, you know, when, when she was telling Harry, don't, in, don't uh, intervene with all the bully business. You know, this is my life. And he's like, but what if something bad's going to happen? And he's, she's like, it's my fucking life. I think she's leveled that up a bit because I, I, I get where she's coming from. Having autonomy of your own life that way is, is super important. Um, and they even talk about that a bit, too, about maybe, you know, earning your own way and, you know, having control of your life is something you have to earn, not just that you're given or something. But like there is a level where it's like, yes, sometimes like, why should you, one of my peers, know any better than me? Um, and yet, like, if he is going to be Dumbledoring her and actually acting like a wise old wizard, sometimes you got to say, look, you got to go to this castle and get this artifact. And I can't tell you why. These are, yeah, these are weirdly contrived situations. I mean, yeah, in this story, but like speaking of the like, oh, relate it back to your life. Like how often are you ever in any kind of situation where you have to worry about what someone else does or doesn't know or what you do or do not know, like has, you know, some super important bit of, you know, relationship to the outcome where it's not just, you know, whoever's doing the deciding about what does and doesn't get known is just, you know, being daddy. Yeah. It's, I think seldom in, in real life. life that yeah. In real life, it's very more likely to be like about you and your control freak, not you, like, you know, about any of us and our control freak tendencies than it is about like the actual validity of some weirdly specific situation where your ignorance was required. Yeah. This is a fun story contrivance, but like in real life, I can see where taking away someone's autonomy is actually valuable. You know, like we vaccinate our kids, even though they don't like getting shots. Right. Like, it, and it makes sense, like, yes. And so that that's the thing, is if you were to ask the kid, hey, you want to get shot? It'll hurt a little bit, and your arm will be sore for a day. They'll be like, no, fuck you, dad. Um, but you're like, well, I think in real life, shit, we're doing it anyway, have, because I don't want you to die, right? I think more often in real life, though, people have more of a problem of being too controlling of other people than in not being controlling enough of other people. Totally. So I'm just saying that there's weird. a balance. Like, and it doesn't always, and it's weird, because like, on the one hand, I want to say like, no, you should respect the autonomy of the person being impacted like above all else. And yet like, I think it's really easy to think about it in terms of kids. Uh, you know, like you also control their diet to some extent. It's like, yes, I know you want ice cream for dinner, but you need like nutrients. Oh yeah, exactly. And so he's treating her like a kid. Yeah. And it's, I think that he's acknowledging here, like this will be like the one time he has to do this. But um, I think that I, the other thing too, is I think that he's, he's also trying to imagine uh, like again, this is this is all like not stuff you take to your your personal life because there aren't prophecies in our world that we're aware of. Sure, would be nice. Um, but he's like, you know, I think that Hermione Granger is the like the big figure who's going to you know be the one to yeah. change the world going forward. And like, if that requires me pushing her a little bit on the beginning of her journey, that kind of sounds worth it. And so again, that that's more story stuff, less about like and take this home to your real life. This 
this isn't, I think, one of the like generalizable methods of rationality yeah. that you're supposed to uh, think about how to manipulate people to their best outcomes. This is something that is a story. So they probably a little bit obliquely relates to the whole like, you know, oh, these smart people have to be careful about what they tell other people. There is a unless bit of that. They, unless they build a nuclear bomb. Yeah. I, Which you know, again, like, how often are you going to be faced with that problem? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's probably some stuff worth exploring there. Like, yeah. you know, we only had to build the nuclear bomb once, but like, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of like dangerous knowledge that you don't want getting in the hands of everybody. So like, you just don't put it online or don't broadcast it on the news. Yeah. Uh, That's different from like, don't make it generally available versus don't tell anyone. Or anyway, like, what, what I really want like, aren't enough to know this, and that's why yeah, it's safe exactly. knowledge with me. But, yeah, there, there's differences. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. well, and that's and that's what Harry is really uncomfortable with with all of this. He's like he's like he like knows and feels like how inconsistent this like oh I'm going to decide what she does and doesn't get to know, like how totally that doesn't work with his whole other like I want to let her control her life thing. And isn't that so, great like, that like compared this to the Harry you know arguing about whether he gets to intervene with the bullies like back then it was mm-hmm. just all kind of like no I know better and I should be involved. And yeah, maybe he had a point, but that wasn't that wasn't the point. Like in this, yeah. he feels understandably kind of icky about meddling, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that. I think that shows some growth. Yeah, I guess that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder how he th- thinks that plays out. Of like, okay, so, so she says, okay, yeah, let's go do Azkaban, and so and so he's operating on the theory that she needs to think she might die in order to get a phoenix. So maybe he was thinking. Okay, she's gonna say, "All right, let's go to Azkaban," and they're gonna buy their plane ticket and they're taxing to take off. And Specifically, she's the gonna buy a plane like, ticket. Uh, not oh yeah, going. I guess he. And then the phoenix shows up because, aha, you have made the noble decision, risking your own life. And so the phoenix shows up, and then Harry calls her up on the cell phone and says, "Oh, by the way, you're immortal." Like, yeah. So, so she's like, once she's got the phoenix, then it's locked in. Then he can like relieve a bunch of her anxiety about the whole dying thing. And actually, like if you know that if she's like fully aware of like all the buffs and everything she's got, and that she's basically impossible to kill, um, she could you know accomplish that whole goal. You can make you have more options available to you if you know if the only way to save the day is to you know jump into the volcano. Then fucking go for it. You won't jump in the volcano if you think you can. It's not going to work. Yeah, jump into the volcano. We'll we'll just we'll bring you back the next day. It's no big deal. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty wild. Like, and he thinks about that too, um, when she's thinking like, all right, well, how do I do anything that professor Flitwick can't do? He thinks, but he doesn't say like, you can take risks that no one else can take. Um, and then, you know, if, if your risk kills you because you took an awesomely leveled risk, like, and by awesome, I just mean huge. Um, mm. then, Hey, you get to learn from that mistake rather than just die like an average person. Yeah. So, that's a, and so like, so the wig going her, her superpowers now, or if she did jump into the volcano, uh, she would what? She'd go back to her Horcrux, and then they could just philosopher stone up a new body and put her into it. Is I think that, so. Is that her new? That's her new. Her new normal. Yeah, there's some. some we noise. like Voldemort gave Harry on parchment the instructions of how to resurrect her or something, but we didn't get to see him. Mm-hmm. So there's probably some magic involved. But um, yeah, basically, I think it's going to be about that simple. It's like yeah, whenever we need, we just you know. We grab a rock, turn it into a into into a new meat yeah, suit for you, and shove your soul into it. And they can do that every X hours and twenty something minutes. Every <laughs> what, two minutes and fifty seconds or something? Oh, three that, minutes yeah, fifty seconds. Like that, yeah. yeah. So you can do some really quick TDD with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that didn't work. Uh, that didn't work. <laughs> Test driven development. 
which is I was making that joke about. Uh, so Elon Musk tried to shoot like a short range, like up turnaround big rocket thing uh, earlier this week, and it crashed. And it was fun to watch because there was no one in, in case, it. In case point one percent of our listeners didn't watch that, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, Google, yeah, SpaceX. Uh, forget the name of the rocket, but SpaceX. It'll be on the front page of the you know their YouTube just, page. Oh yeah, it was like SN eight or serial number eight is what it stood for. But. Yeah, it didn't have a cool name. But uh, anyway, now did you um, watch it? Aside again, the uh, the when the rocket shut down and it totally because it was also like leaking, it looked like they had like broken or something. But uh, didn't it look to you like when they shut down, they like gimbal away from the center, but they were like whacking all over the place and being super shaky? Did that seem to you like oh something's wrong there? Apparently, that was all totally fine and normal, other than the leaking. Well, you saw one of the engines go out. Yeah, burnt out. So that part wasn't right. But to me, it looked, uh, as I was watching it, it looked like something broke because of the way the, as the engines went out, they kind of rattled all over the place. But apparently that rattling was totally normal. It I don't know. All very shaky. I, I guess that, that there's probably some level of like, you want it to be able to shake and bend rather than break. Yeah. Like it always freaks me out when I'm in a plane. I don't like flying, but I look out the window and watch the wing kind of, you know, flex with the wind. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that looks like it's going to break. And yet you want it to that's that's how it's designed to do that on purpose. But like for me, it's just like oh, I don't like watching it shake like that. But apparently, it's supposed to. So I guess rockets are no exception. Yeah, I think like as far as the things that she's allowed to know and not know, um, basically she's not allowed to know any of the like. I think I think she already knows more than basically everyone else. Like the um, the the secret whatever conspiracy group of McGonagall, uh, Moody and and Bones all know that Harry was the one who vanquished Voldemort. And now Hermione knows that too. So that's like unsecured knowledge with her. She also knows that. Well, no, it, Hermione knows that Quirrell was Voldemort, right? No, she just knows that Quirrell was bad. Oh, okay. So like he, uh, so, he didn't straight up tell her like, by the way, yeah. So he, she says, or he, he tells her you're right about him being evil, which is like, I don't know, plausible deniability to anyone who reads her mind, but he didn't straight up say, and you're right. He was totally Voldemort. Um, so then, but she's, but she doesn't believe that David Monroe, or does she think there is a David Monroe and David Monroe helped kill Voldemort? Uh, she might still think that. I'm not sure. Okay. I guess. So do we have a solid idea of what what she thinks happened at this point or what she does or does not? Uh, she knows Harry about. was involved. I think that's Harry's about involved. it. She knows, was, she knows Quirrell was evil. And she thinks David Monroe is another actual person. Yeah, and or I think maybe, she, that maybe we're not sure, but maybe she thinks David Monroe is another person, and so maybe, maybe she thinks the that that the thing about oh David Monroe sacrificed himself, blah blah blah. She th- she thinks might be true, but she kind of doesn't trust it. So I guess she doesn't really. She's not even really sure where the edges. She doesn't even know what her unknown unknowns are. Yeah, she's she's in the dark, and so. That's like, what I like about it is like, that's a bummer. And yet, and so like, I was like, yeah, she's in the dark. And I realized I was kind of, you know, bummed hearing that. And like, and yet Dumb- Harry is also, I was almost called Harry Dumbledore. Harry is upset that he's having the Dumbledore this way and keep her in the dark. Like, yeah. it's kind of funny. And it was kind of played for a laugh when it happened. But when Harry first met Dumbledore, he was like, he's, he says to him, Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm responsible for all the bad things that ever happened to you and all the things that will, um, which is kind of like what Dumbledore tells Harry at the end of book four or five or something. Um, when the Dumbledore finally, yeah. in the original ones, there's like the, the chapter at the end, I think it was in the fifth book. And he's like, all right, sit down. I'm going to tell you everything that actually happened. Um, yeah, sounds familiar. And like, I think that similar line, like I'm responsible for everything is similar to the one in the book. And so when that's like Dumbledore's opening line in this book, it was kind of funny. 
Um, and yet it was totally true. So like, uh, I think Harry's in the similar boat where he's like, yeah, I'm, I kind of set all this stuff up. Um, but then he says too, um, so he says, uh, like, yeah, uh, I, I, so sorry. She says, I'm not really comfortable with this. People thinking I defeated Lord, the dark Lord Voldemort when I haven't done anything at all. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the same thing you went through, isn't it? He's like, yeah, sorry about inflicting that on you. I was trying to create like a separate identity for people in people's minds. Like I wanted them to have like this, you know, image of you as the girl who revived to pin all the magic, re- insane shit he, you do. He really needed to focus group that name before he tried it on. <laughs> I don't know if he picked it. It's got, it's got no, it's got no rhythm to it. I mean, boy who lived, you know, I think any, any superhero name that has to be double hyphened isn't like the best superhero name, but like, what if Thor's superhero name was God hyphen of hyphen thunder? Like that's no good. Yeah. But even like, even accounting for the hyphens, at least lived has a sort of like epic, you know, cosmic life, death, lived, uh, revived is kind of like, eh. Oh, like what? You know, you- resurrected. Yeah. Yeah. The resurrected girl. <laughs> Something. I don't know. The immortal I mean, unicorn princess. Revive sounds very like, like there was a, EKG plugged into her and yeah. Speaking there's, of unicorn princesses, you called this out in the notes that sparkling oh, yeah. unicorn princess is a very fandom only joke. Um, that that's actually when we can uh, we can dive into it a bit, but the that is specifically a fandom joke. I think there was like a complaint that Hermione's arc wasn't handled very well, um, and so the arc in this book or the arc in the in this book. Mm-hmm. And so Jukowski says, "Fine, you know, I'll I'll bring her back as a sparkling unicorn princess or something." And he said that while the book was still being written. Yeah. So I think that, you know, whether like, I think it was taken at least by me at the time as like, okay, yeah, that's a funny joke. Um, Then he works it, he goes ahead and works it in, you know, very plot realistically into the story, which is really funny. Um, I was going to say that. You didn't even have to contrive the unicorn thing because the unicorns as magical healing power thingy was well established. Exactly. It didn't even when, uh, and unicorns being involved with Voldemort. So it didn't, seem contrived at all as it was happening. It just sort of made sense. Like if you're going to try to buff this chick, that's the most obvious, that's more obvious than the troll thing. And that's the best kind of like, is he joking or is he bluffing kind of, you know, statement to make like mm-hmm. one that's super plausible, right? Or at least has plausible yeah. elements to it. Um, anyway, so I like this too, where he says, uh, I might have an idea for what you can do very soon if you want. And she gives him like a look in italics. This is where like Harry puts it all on the table. He's like, but you don't have to. You can ignore this whole thing and just be the best student in Ravenclaw if that's what you prefer. And she says, are you trying to use reverse psychology on me? He's like, no, seriously. I'm trying not to decide your life for you. Um, yeah, and this is the part where it, it like struck me like this is almost Harry's kind of so changed that Hermione doesn't really like this is new to her. She's not quite sure. How do you interact with a Harry who's being like self-deprecating and like hyper concerned about other people's feelings? Like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, it's awesome. Um He's like, you can go anywhere from here. You can do anything with your life. If you want to be a wealthy 60-year-old merman, I can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, what I what I want isn't for things to be Oh, done. you read my mind. Right. Oh, how'd you know? Um, what I want isn't for things to be done for me. And he says, I understand. And if, if it helps you to know, in my case, things are being arranged for me a lot. By Dumbledore, mostly. The Professor Quirrell, too. Um, so, like... I think what he's saying is like, yeah, I know this sucks. And, you know, but that's the thing is you can't really say Dumbledore did the wrong thing. Granted, Dumbledore is working with the you know end of the world yeah. in mind, but kind of so is Harry. Um, 
So it's like, it's just this, again, this is a story contrivance. I don't think you treat people like this in real life, but like where you manipulate them to being better people. Um, at least, I don't know if I'd appreciate that. It, it would take a very good friend to manipulate me like in a way that I wouldn't approve of if they told me in advance. And then afterwards they said, yeah, by the way, I manipulated you. And I said, I understand and I appreciate it. That'd be a really weird conversation for me to have. Well, and Yeah. And the situations where that's ever going to be like a plausible outcome where, where you're never going to be in a situation where a sane person would arrive at the conclusion that like, okay, this complicated manipulation is going to clearly be for their benefit. And it's always going to come out looking like, oh, you're a control freak. Right. Like the best, you know, kind of, I'm just generating shitty examples, but like I could imagine saying, you know, to somebody you care about, like, no, look, here's an emergency car kit to keep in your car. This way you'll have jumper cables and, you know, flashlight and all that. And it's like, you tell them what it is and what it's for, even though they don't want it. And then like two years later, they need jumper cables, right? Like it's not, there's nothing with that high of stakes that I can imagine in real life where like tricking somebody, and that's not even a trick. You know, giving. Well, yeah, that's that's yeah, there's no deceit. Yeah. That's just like, hey, you gotta have this. It would be like, yeah, I can't even think of the. That's a, like it's such. A, you can't even think of what the real world equivalent to any of this would be. So, all right, if I had to contrive a real world example, like I guess you wouldn't know if it's a winning. You know, you could. Uh, yeah, because then, then there's like, the also the thing. Even with this, like, it, and it might not work. And then if your like whole manipulation thing ends up not even accomplishing the thing you were hoping for, then you're extra shit out of luck yeah you know like if you knew somebody was hard up for cash and you dropped 20 bucks by you know their whatever somewhere where they would find it and it's like yep now you have 20 bucks like that's a really low level manipulation too there's nothing i can't think of a big way you I guess trick somebody so much of a manip- yeah that's more just like kind of with the, you're not really so much you're not trying to get them to do something yeah all right uh, I'm tr- now i'm just hell-bent on contriving a real world example if you reverse psychology a like child if you reverse psychology your child into choosing a major that doesn't suck and will actually get them a career. You got to pull the child thing out of it because that's like, that's the main part of the problem with this is that whoever you're doing this to, you're treating like a child. I think you're right. And maybe that's part of it. Like when would it be okay to manipulate a peer into doing something because their ignorance was required in order for the good thing to happen and it was totally justified that you do the weird thing. It's just never like, yeah. I don't think you could do that to a peer. The best I could think of with a peer without being specific would be like, look, you have to pretend like you're ignorant about this and I'll tell you the actual truth beforehand and now go forth and act like you didn't know any better and it'll come out on top, right? Like, yeah, you can't completely bullshit. You have to like at least let them know that they're being bullshitted in some way and like get some kind of tacit permission about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. I, and I, yeah, it, it would be, and it's such a like a weird, like rom com scenario that would have to come up. Of, like, yeah, if only you had told me sooner. Yeah, like maybe lying about a crime, like Walter White level stuff. Where oh, you didn't watch Breaking Bad? Like eventually, his wife catches on that he's up to no good, and then she eventually gets the whole picture when uh, he. I, I think she finds like his mountain of cash or something. And I forget exactly when she comes into the full view of like, oh, okay, this isn't just you putting together some side money. This is like this gigantic thing. Like, it might make sense before all that for him to have lied. I'm not defending Walt's actions, but like, if like if by keeping her in the dark and he's caught, then she can honestly say, I was tricked. I didn't know. And like, that makes this whole thing like, yep, okay, mm-hmm. now you can tell the police the truth, which is you didn't know any better, right? Uh, Although, but, yeah. but then too, yeah, he's not so treating her like a peer. Yeah, and also, well, so yeah, that's true. And 
I think what feels a little different, like that's just kind of withholding information. Not great, but that it does that feels like less of a like a manipulation. He's more like just trying to not get her involved rather than trying to like cause some particular outcome. And that's like what's weird about like Harry's trying to get her to decide to go after Azkaban thinking that she's mortal. Yeah. Um, which is sort of different than just kind of not telling her something. Like he's trying to get a thing to happen as opposed to just trying to keep something else from happening. I don't know. But yeah, even but even that, like so yeah, the withholding of a thing makes it feel less manipulative but it's that's still not great yeah so that reminds so here's this this also we were talking about what does hermione know so there's this funny line here and it ties into what we're talking about um harry says maybe the power to earn your way through life through your maybe the power to earn your own way in life is something itself you have to earn why that sounds very wise like having my parents pay for me to go to go to university so i can someday get my own job professor quirrell bring me back to life as a sparkling unicorn princess and you telling everyone that i off the dark lord voldemort is just like that really <laughs> <laughs> um so she thinks that quirrell brought her back to life but uh you know that's that's just uh as far as we we're trying to paint a picture of what she knew um and then I like this too. She says, I am grateful, Harry. You know, please don't take it seriously and I'm snarky at you. I don't want to be the sort of girl who comes back from the dead then starts complaining about what superpowers she got and that her alicorn fingernails are the wrong shade of pearly white. <laughs> <laughs> um, then I like this. Again, we're talking, this is a whole kind of character change for Harry. And that's, that's what I love about this is it's setting it up in a, like, just an awesome, like, emotional and believable way where she says, all right, if I do decide that dying a horrible death isn't enough to make me rethink my life choices... Not that I'm saying that just yet. And what happens next? And he says, then I do my best to, to support you in your life choices, whatever they are. Oh, and I like, like, uh, at the beginning of this part of the conversation, um, Harry doesn't like start in with a whole, like, oh, are you going to be a hero thing? Uh, it is pretty much where he's going, but he doesn't really like phrase it that way. And Hermione just sort of like calls it out as, okay, you basically want to know if I still want to be a hero. And she uses the word. Um, and Harry's like, yeah, pretty much. Um, so Hermione's thinking of these, you know, because she's about to come to the part where she kind of explicitly makes a call on the hero thing. Um, but she, she kind of knows from the beginning of, of talking this through with him that, like, that's the that's the idea that they're chewing their way through is, you know, what does Hermione want to be for the rest of her life? And is that a hero? This is what I like about, like, heroics in real life and heroics in, you know, comic books and comic book movies is, is Hermione's answer to all of this, right? Yeah. Like, so... You know, she's, she's thinking, I, it's, I'm trying to remember how I had it lined up in my head. I thought I had a better way of delivering it, but, um, she's like, look, I'm, I, he, I think they eventually lay it out. Like, you know, do you want to keep being a hero or, you know, that sort of thing. And she's like, you know, I'm done with being a hero. Like I'm done thinking of things in those terms. Like I'm going to do like what I can or almost as much as I can. I'm only human. Like I'm not going to burn myself out doing everything I can. Which, again, that's also hyper-realistic and awesome. Um, we all do less than we're technically capable of doing, but we do about what we can without being, you know, burnt to a crisp. And, like, that that's the that's what I like about, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you can imagine, um, I don't know, a doctor who could technically maybe do more if they dedicate their whole life to, you know, mastering the craft or something rather than just, like, yeah. their entire work life or something. But then you picture, like, every fucking hero who does... They, they, they do in the immortal words of Spider-Man's uncle, um, you know, they, they, with, with their power comes their responsibility to do what they can. And yeah. so like what they can is different than what we can do. Cause we can't, you know, stop a flying bullet or catch a runaway train or something. Um, but they, 
they're going to do what they can because they have the power to do it. And that's what Hermione decides is like, you know, it's pretty much like pretty clearly like, okay, yeah, that is pretty much a hero. Um, Cause that whole thing, like, you know, pushing yourself beyond your own limits is like kind of a not heroes are fictitious because they're capable of doing that part. Um, everything else is what a person can choose to do. And yeah. And so she basically says like, yes, I'll do all the things a hero would do. I'm just not going to try to be a hero or call myself a hero. Um, but yeah. only, the only part I'm not going to worry about is whether or not we call it hero. Right. She's not going to play into the, the, the tropes of heroism. She's just going to do the right thing to the best that she can. And, you know, the best that she can is more than the average, you know, 12 year old girl, but it's like, she's, she's not going to just, she's going know. to do as John Mulaney says, an adult doing her job. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's a, a hero. hero. Yeah. Um, anyway, protecting the tots from creeps. Yes. Angels, right? Uh, yeah. Keeping the tots from becoming angels. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, everyone who hasn't listened to John Mulaney's stand up yet is missing out. So I'm not going to explain those jokes. Um, so then uh, she says, uh, all right, can I have a few minutes to think about this? And then. Uh, I like to, it's just like she just needs a few minutes. Which is, you know. I need, I need a couple minutes to make this grand life decision. Yeah. Give me a couple and I think three, three and a half. she asks a very reasonable question and Harry gives the best answer. She says, do I have to decide without knowing what the mission is? And he says, oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Which is a great answer to give. Um, and and that, that was the point where it like cleared up my confusion. It's like, oh, wait, so she doesn't need to be, you know, learn occlumency to get this part. So I'm like, oh, okay, there's only like, and I'm still like, I would have to like, pull out a piece of paper to figure out, okay, these are all the things she doesn't know and which are the things she would can be told right now. She knows very little about like the real stuff that went down and all that she uh, gets to know, but you know, and I I like this too. He's not going to tell her about the mission until she decides that she's going to want to keep trying to do those things. And then she's allowed to say no, because a, he remembers how manipulated he was when he had that same conversation with Quirrell about his first trip to Azkaban. And second, like, the she'll probably know everything before she could because she can't go there until she learns the patronus right and she could probably learn occlumency by then too well i think it took harry a few months to learn occlumency but she might be better at it than he was yeah. um maybe she'll be worse because part of occlumency involves kind of like this mental lying about what's going on in your head right and hermione knows lying is capital b bad so we'll see um but what i like about it is that like he's not going to tell her what the mission is He's not going to say, Hermione, I think you're uniquely qualified to save all those tortured souls in Azkaban. Do you want to do it? Because um, like that's that's kind of manipulating, right? That I mean, that, that is not kind of manipulating. That's very emotionally manipulative. Saying, hey, if you don't want to, yeah, but guess, a little but people will sit there and still, suffer. Yeah. yeah, I guess putting it that way, but you would definitely want to say like, you know, the purpose of this is to free everybody in Azkaban. Right. Um, I think he'll, and he'll tell her that. decide how to emotionally interpret it. Right. I think she'll he'll tell her that when she decides, like, yeah, I still want to try and do that sort of thing. Um, and uh, and she does like during this conversation, like she does, and so it is sort of it's like, okay, yes, I'm going to, but like, you know, go get some lunch. Yeah, I mean, he's not making her decide this minute, um, which is nice of him. Um, <laughs> well, and like, you know, the the thing is, like, you know, Azkaban's been there for however long, like another couple days. You know, every every second of Azkaban is an atrocity, yeah. et cetera. But like leaving that aside, a couple more days is a couple more days. Um, and so I like this too. It's not, um, it's not like it's grass. What was that? It's <laughs> my last chance to pull that joke. Oh, the grass. It's not like it's grass. <laughs> it's not oh, like right. pressing, like grass. Right, yeah. You know, 
Sure. <laughs> well, we have time. We have time to consider Hermione's feelings. It's not like grass. Yep. Um, but yeah, so she has said like, I mean, she, <laughs> uh, fuck, I'm like, I'm grassist. Fuck grass. Fucking hate grass. It's all good. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, summer comes weekly. I just murder them all. Uh, so she has said, uh, she's not, we haven't used the words like hero. And she said like, it's not a hero, but basically, yes, I want to be a hero. And that makes her decide. She's like, okay, she's in. Uh, and he uh, pulls the cloak out and uh, bestows it upon her with a bit of ceremony. I like that um, too. It's oh, before that, I, th- I wanted to say that uh, she says, "I'll do what I can, even if it means risking my life again." Um, that's my answer. So, is there anything I can do? Which is like, uh, you know, that kind of resolute, like, "All right, what's you know, what's what's going on?" And she's sorry, like, I probably have something planned. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just like that line. Like I, I it, for me, I pictured that really well. It says she took a deep breath, her face resolute. So is there anything I can do? And then, yeah, he, he hands her the cloak and explains like, I think this, this was always meant for you. Um, this is all the touching stuff. I love it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And she's like, Oh my God, you can't give that to me. And like, yeah. And this is where Harry's like, it kind of becomes more clear. Like Harry is stepping out of the hero business. I mean, he's kind of been saying that all along, but. That's where it gets a lot more obvious. He's like, no, you're the one that does this shit now. Um, I'm just an admin. Um, <laughs> I'll be your mysterious old wizard. Yeah, I think she calls him that. She's like, oh, I think you were always my mysterious old wizard. Yeah. Even though it's like, you're like, oh, even though I'm not going to be a hero, uh, um, I think you were always my mysterious old wizard. Yeah. Mr. Miyagi. I just picture um, like the, uh, you know, and I, I realize this is like not the, the, the pinnacle archetype for this, but it's the one I always picture like, the what was it, the first Zelda game where the the wizard in the cave is like it's dangerous to go alone. Take this and give him, gives him a sword. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like that, I don't think that guy has a name or is a real character because it's an old video game. But like it's like yep, I'm the mysterious old wizard. You don't know anything about me except for here's your quest item. <laughs> That's what makes me so mysterious. Uh, yeah, and I guess he, and he can't give her the elder wand. It'd be a hell of a whole more useful for her. But it, the elder wand, like she'd have to defeat him in order to get that so he can't do that i bet you could just punch him out and take it that'd probably count to the wand as defeating him yeah well i think it would have to be like legit it couldn't be like where he's like okay now you're gonna defeat me right well he might say okay we're gonna i'm gonna try i'm gonna try my damnedest to not let you take this wand from me now take it (laughs) all right i guess and she probably yeah she totally yeah that's true she totally could yeah she just run over and you know clock him. Feels feels like the elder one would know that they what they were up to and beside me. He's like, nah, it doesn't count. Yeah, he has to like legit not want you to have it. Right. Um, and like, and then the stone. I'm, I'm like running through my head the uh, the Deathly Hollows. The stone kind of doesn't matter. Nobody needs to have it. They, they, they already have plans for it. It's not, it doesn't belong to anybody as far as what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Um, I like this line too where. Uh, right after she, she says, I think from the day I met you, you were always going to be my mysterious old wizard. And I think even though, even if you deny that way of thinking now, I, I think that you were always destined to become from the very beginning of the story, the hero. It's just, I, it's nice. I love how like, this is everything I would have wanted for Hermione. She's set up to be like, you know, and I think people have been making this, this meme a lot about the original trilogy, but like Hermione was the real hero. Like mm-hmm. she was the one who did all the the clever thinking, had all the 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 right plans, who knew all the stuff. And Harry was just the guy with the magic gun that could you know actually shoot the bad guy with. But like she was the most important character. Yeah. And this isn't shying away from that. I like it a lot. 
Yeah. I think it's also like this is ending with Harry like consciously stepping out of the center of the circle and like he's like, no, this is about her. Right. Um, yeah, it's cool. He gives her a time machine and. Um, yeah, I realized this was what, like, and sh- then he's, he's explaining, like, oh, this is what it does and how it works. Like, I was surprised, like, the back of my head uh, kept wanting, because the time turners so from the original so associated with Hermione, like, part of me was, like, had to be like, oh, yeah, she hasn't known about this the whole time. Right. Um, and, and then he I like that he and kept then up then with her in classes. Together. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, and I like her. In my notes, uh, uh, I quoted her as saying, "You are a petty, cheating fuck," uh, <laughs> and perhaps paraphrasing. Um, but I, it, it had the same vibe to it as the way uh, Snape said, "Drop dead Potter," where it was this sort of like playful, like, "Oh, we're actually friends, but fuck you." Right. Um, you it's like, wait, fuck. that's why you managed to go out with me in classes because you you had an extra six hours right? a day. Because that's a bunch of shit. Fuck you, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bunch of shit, but you know, exactly. we're homies. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah. And then Harry explains that because they think she killed Voldemort that, how, what is the work with that? That she killed Voldemort. And so that was avenging the house of Monroe. Is that what the yep. technical And Harry, Harry's house because is also noble for the same now. reason. Which makes yeah, it sound yeah. like a really exploitable way to make all your friends noble if yeah. you just keep resurrecting the Dark Lord that y'all keep killing. Yeah, I guess if you're, if you're going to get all technical about it, that that like undoes Harry's status as a noble house because, well, you didn't really kill him. Sucks yeah, I wonder if like they, you know, they'd have to pass some resolution in court to say, oh, yes, we're revoking your noble house title. We're trying to really sure what that means. Wouldn't really matter except what Harry's about to bring up that uh, the other technicality that gets them is if, that if they pass their owls, then they how do you put, gain their majority, whatever, they become legally no longer minors, which could come in handy if you want to start fighting bad guys. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly clear what benefit they get from not being legally children. I guess they get to manage their own bank accounts, but like no one's no, getting in their way anyway. McGonagall can't keep him from doing shit but mcgonagall really wasn't going to anyway so like for him but, but maybe yeah, it's just a formality he doesn't have to run it by anybody anymore yeah he doesn't have to ask hermione or you know mcgonagall can i go to my gringotts vault or whatever and like i guess at this way too if they're legally adults they get to like i don't know maybe make motions in court they get to make their own like legal decisions sign checks I, yeah <laughs> sign checks you know <laughs> sign a lease uh rent a car exactly. take out a mortgage on their house exactly um, yeah. Then there's the, you know the nice bit where he's he explains yeah about the owls. Then he says here's your wand back and your mookskin pouch. Um, well, the other thing I liked about the um, about her becoming the, the Granger becoming a noble house is it reminded me of the like weirdly classist racist thing that uh, Luscious um, kept doing. What I can't remember exactly what was the like first of her house or something. Oh, Hermione, the first uh, Granger. First Granger, yeah. That it was like this passive aggressive little fuck you, not one of us thing. And now she's like, no, nah, no, nah, she's, she's the real deal now. <laughs> oh wait, Luscious is dead. So double fuck you. Yeah. And yeah he, always he, liked her. He got the shitty sharp end of the stick. Um, yeah. And I guess, uh, and Draco will be, uh, you know, only because, so Draco and Hermione were always cool. And even perhaps uh, he felt a little bad that she got falsely accused, but he's going to probably be a little chafed at the idea that she's friends with Harry. So, That'll be a complicated relationship going forward. Yeah, the end of Draco's arc in this story, you know, he gets his mom back, which is nice and all that. But like his life was ruined by all this. You know, hopefully he yeah. he will be able to to build something nice out of it. But his his is really kind of the most tragic of all of it. Like 
Speaking of speaking of having control of your life taken away and other people deciding what's best for you, Narcissa Malfoy. Yeah. Who's been an Australian for 10 years. Yeah, she's been trying to, you know, figure out her microwave in Australia for the last decade. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like this too, where uh, she's like, okay, well, um, oh yeah, then th- that's where uh, he tells her that he has the Philosopher's Stone. So like, you know, uh, we should make we should make sure just to give you lots of money so that anyone that you fuck with knows that you can afford lawyers. Um, <laughs> bring your lawyers. And then like, she's like, all right, cool. Well, you know, can I have like a, you know, a bazooka and some some hand grenades and all this cool shit? And, um, and her, she's like, <laughs> uh, and she makes the bubblegum joke. Yes. Okay. Which then I went up to all the trouble of quoting. Uh, and she didn't make the joke. I also, it occurred to me because this is all supposed to happen in 1991. Hermione asking for a bazooka and mentioning bubblegum. She totally should have made the chew bubblegum and kick ass joke. Well, she wouldn't say ass. Uh, it's a bad word. Um, kick booty. Uh, <laughs> That's probably what she'll say. I, I, when used she... I used to work with a guy that uh, he wouldn't cuss. And the uh, lame corporate motivational thing was uh, kick ass Fridays. Uh, but the guy would like, he wouldn't even say that. So it was kick tail Fridays. That's really funny. There's a level where like I can get, you know, swearing too much, I think kind of makes you sound unintelligent and might, you know, there, there's, there's a, a, a virtue to not, you know, swearing every third word. And yet like to, to have that line so hard as an adult that you want that, you know, by gosh, gosh, darn it. I'll be heckin' darn. Like, you know, it, at that level, you also sound childish. Um, it, it's sort of added to his charm. He's a super nice guy and it totally seems silly. Like, well, Eddie, like you really wanting to say that? That's adorable. Oh, good. You know, as long as as long as it's adorable. <laughs> I bet you know if he wasn't actually a super nice guy, then you'd be like, oh, you, yeah, it wouldn't work. But yeah, okay, I know, was, I know was exactly the that. kind of person you you're drawing. Then yeah, for sure. <laughs> Maybe she'll save the bubblegum joke for like not not, just, and not even like pretending to be nice, but being actually that nice. Where you're know, like, okay, I don't really understand you, but good to hang out with you. I imagine the girl who revived showing up at Azkaban, shooting a bazooka through the doors, and saying, "I'm here to kick ass and take name, or kick ass and uh, well, I guess she's not to take names. She's going to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of gum." And then she starts just blasting. Uh, yeah, I, I do need to take this opportunity to remind all the listeners to mercil- mercilessly mock Stephen for not ever having seen that movie. Which movie is that, Brian? They live. They live. They all know when I said. Chew bubble gum and kick ass. It's like, you know, there are three people listening to this didn't know what I was talking about. And you were one of them until 10 minutes ago. Oh, well, I'm okay with that. I, I, I missed out a it's lot of movies somehow. That I, that, I, that I crowdsourced the peer pressure necessary to make you watch it. Yeah, I mean, really you convinced me to watch it before. Right. Like when you told me that, like, so I'd seen gifts from this movie and I knew the line. Now that I'm aware of what it's called, I'll actually watch it. it sounds like fun. You will have the added benefit thing. of knowing. I, when I saw it um, in way back in high school, uh, I, I knew who Rowdy Roddy Piper was, but I didn't know that that was him in the movie. And there's this very puzzling, I Google, it's a, a six minute long fight scene, which I mean, six minutes doesn't sound too long, but six minutes is a long time in a movie for a single fight scene between him and apparently a guy that was also a professional wrestler. Um, so this ridiculously over the top, like back alley fight scene, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And it wasn't until like a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, wait, that was Rowdy Rowdy Piper. That makes sense now. So they basically like put in this gratuitous wrestling scene in the middle of the movie just because they had two wrestlers in the cast. That's hilarious. I like well done fight scenes. Like there was a, um, a very memorable scene from the first season of Daredevil. And it's like, it's a single shot. That's what makes it so cool. And he's fighting his way through this hallway. That's really cool. Yeah, you know yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. 
It's got to be. Oh, like, that was the, that was the one that was like old boy, wasn't it? Like they consciously were copying old boy. Maybe I haven't seen old boy. I think so. um, oh, that's a cool. I'm sure it is. That's a kind of thing, but yeah. But yeah, um, good fight scenes can be done well. Uh, I, I'll see. You know, anyone wants to compare it? Google hallway fight scene Daredevil season one, and then Google fight scene from uh, Halle Berry's uh, Catwoman movie, and compare the differences. What makes these fight scenes? Uh, good and bad and you'll see why highly berries was terrible because it cut every two seconds and it was like an epileptic fit watching this fight and then the daredevil scene where it's just the camera sitting in the hallway doing all these fights all right daredevil is very disappointing the second season of daredevil just took a nosedive all of the like that's first season was great it was super i love this first season of me daredevil. too and then just and i think the last episode of the second season was like he like did another ridiculous fight like that but he like fought off 50 ninjas or something it was yeah, I remember when they brought in all the ninjas and stuff. All that kind of is hazy. I just remember the first like, seasons oh, of all those shows. Kind of like Nick, cool. Luke Cage did that like halfway through the first season. Half half the first season was awesome. And then they kill off the cool bad guy and bring in the ridiculous comic book bad guy. And the whole season just kind of tanked. But yeah, that, anyway. That, that, that whole that whole thing just fell apart. That whole And then, yeah, what was what was their name when they brought them all through? Uh, Luke Cage and the Defenders. I watched that and it was it was rough. Yeah. I watched it without watching the immortal Iron Fist because that guy is as ridiculous as they make him look in the Defenders. Oh my god! Yeah, he's, all right. Yeah, he's he's the street level Ant Man, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he's got much more. He's got much more of the like ego and none of the charisma and humor of Ant Man. <laughs> and the like seventies racist thing that like you know we like Asian culture, but not so much with the Asians. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the thing. Is he's the the black guy from New York and goes off and he's for some reason, the immortal iron fist. Exactly. Um, all right. That has been your digression for <laughs> mediocre superhero <laughs> stuff. Oh yes. Harry Potter. Harry has that line. He says, I have the feeling that I ought to be doing something about this. And he says it in a Scottish accent, like professor McGonagall. And that's, oh, yeah. that's what she says when they're first in Diagon Alley. Mm-hmm. And Harry's response to that was, don't worry about it. It'll go away. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go away. And Hermione is just like, oh no, it's much too late for that, Mr. Potter. I want a bazooka. Um, so, like, this is where we talked about earlier, where she's like, I just don't see what I can do that Professor Flitwick couldn't, you know, unless it involves me taking a dark wizard by surprise and presumably punching them in the back of the head. Um, she, and so, like, so he was he was saying, um, you know, I think it's a, like it'd be like grabbing the dark wizard in a bear hug and then jumping into the meat grinder, right. Oh yeah, she could do that too. Just jump it, like do a suicide dive to a volcano with him. I was just thinking if she just punched him in the back of the head, she'd go right through it. Like you're both in a plane and you just crash the fucking thing. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing about options. You've got options. The, the wizards in in like the magical folk in the Harry Potter universe are still kind of glass cannons, right? Like they they can you know destroy a mountain with the wave of their wand, but they're still susceptible to being stabbed in the face. Mm-hmm. So like as long as she can sneak up on people, she's still pretty deadly. Um, that's true. That's true. So, uh, where are we going? Sun's rising. She, it's getting pretty. It's very like, symbolic. And then, like, Harry knows where it's coming. She's like, oh, there's something else I got to ask you. And he's like, uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, this part. <laughs> um, and Harry remembered. <laughs> so she's like, oh, you don't recall. And then, like, the, it's its own line break. And Harry, or Enosh reads it like, uh, like a very foreboding. And Harry remembered. Don't panic, said Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I promise no matter what yeah, for a second for yeah. a second he's like worried that, like well is he worried that like she wants to be boyfriend girlfriend and that's what's freaking him out for until she tells him not to worry. 
yeah, so th- that they're going to have, like, he, he, he was trying to remember what the last conversation was. And, oh, yeah, it was the relationship feelings talk. And he's like, oh, no. And <laughs> then she's like, hey, chill out. I'm not going to go get killed by a troll again. Um, she's like, but I, I was still curious about it. And I really like this. This is the best answer ever to give, especially if you're not doing, like, one of those shipping shitty fan fiction things, right? Um, like, how do, you, how do you paint two characters that, you know, one is mo- willing to move heaven and earth for somebody, but it's not like a because you're my true love thing. This is the best answer to that, and I love this whole thing. I'm curious of your thoughts on it, though. Don't be worried about me building it up. Too I like, much. I um, so I like I, I think Hermione as a character and a role in the end of this would be like ruined if you tried to just turn them into like the Hermione and Harry couple. Um, but this I didn't quite. Like and and this like interchange was kind of like playful and a little bit so I like that but it felt a little too like on the nose and meta and like being the cliff notes to your own story of like you could just do this and have them not be it and not have them like look at the camera and tell us that like it's important not to you know force these two characters into a relationship it felt a little too self aware so it kind of like yanked me out of it a little too much um, like the the content of 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 what it is that it's both like okay we don't. We don't need to be that. And also, like, I'm not doing this because you're like, you know, this delicate flower I'm trying to protect. You're like the single human on the planet that I respect most. So I really like that. Um, it just, I, I'd have liked that to be like um, more like implied than like stated explicitly. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, they do kind of a, a look at the camera and say, look, they, you know, it doesn't have to be about us falling in love or whatever, which is, you know, again, just pointing straight at the people with all the shipping business. But what I like about it is, and that's the name of the arc, right? There's something to protect. And that, that is the, like, that's the core of strength that Harry had that Voldemort didn't have. And like Voldemort did all of his things for entirely selfish reasons. And, you know, if it came down to just Harry dying, he'd have been fine with that. But the thing was, was Voldemort was going to torture everybody he cared about. And that's where his real strength came from. And that's not this, you know, like Spockian met, you know, attitude, right? Spock doesn't suddenly get smarter. Maybe he does. I don't watch Ivanson Star Trek, but Spock would say it's irrational to suddenly try harder when there's more stakes, you know, like it's the, the idea of, you know, like, I think this is like a fairly standard, well, not standard, but you can imagine this being like a thought experiment you give to the average parent, be like, Hey, how many people would you kill to save your life? And they'd be like, Oh, I don't believe in killing people. That's wrong. How many people would you kill to save your kid? Oh, I'd kill hundreds. All the people. Exactly. (laughs) And so like there, there is, there's a, an awesome, just humanistic, level of truth to that that there's there's a kind of strength that comes up when it's not just about you right if yeah. if that is a weird like you just remember, there, there's a weird thing that i think happens with parents I, I don't know at least it happened with me and, and uh and my kid's mom that like after like that those first few months when you have the kid or maybe even like during the pregnancy and stuff you run you do run through these weird little thought experiments and these like morbid scenarios of like okay what if my kid's about to die or uh the one that like we kept bringing up was like, Oh, she's about to get run over by a bus. You know, would you, you know, jump in front of the bus to save her life? Well, yeah, of course. Um, you jump in front of the bus. And then the one that like always sticks out with me is like, would you push me in front of a bus to save her life? <laughs> and it was, not, it was not only like, Oh yeah, I would totally push you in front of the bus if that was the only way. Uh, but it was like the reaction of both. And like, we didn't have to like compare notes. The reaction for both of us was you better fucking push me in front of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's something weird about like because that's like the like a, the most existential anything for anybody once you've got a kid like all you know a million years of evolution kicks in to make that your prime directive like just the weird bizarre you know 
morbid thought experiments you go through with that kind of stuff. I love it. It's like a refined version of the second trolley problem. Like, what about like, the Batman on the trolley? It's like, what if the Batman's saying, push me, push me? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what if the fat man's a moral philosopher who you know would be okay with it if he pushed him in front of the trolley? <laughs> um, so that's what I like about it is that the other thing that I like about it too is that um, so he he explains like, look, um, yes, I the the something to protect is what gave me you know my extra boost to take down Voldemort even though he was stronger than me and had a do- you know three dozen Death Eaters pointing their wands at me and she's like, I see you know don't take this the wrong way but I'm not 100 percent comfortable with that. It's a big responsibility that I didn't choose. And I don't think it's healthy for you to lay that on one person. He's like, I know, but I'm trying to make more of a point. The point is, is that everyone else was in danger, explicitly not you. You're the one I didn't have to worry about. And she's like, oh, so then she's like, oh, is that what I am to you, Harry? Like she's, she hesitates and it's like this kind of like creeper vibe, like the thing you protect. And he's like, no, no, I'm telling you this because Voldemort wasn't threatening to put you in Azkaban. You were going to be fine. And then she smiles. She's like, why Harry? That's the least romantic thing I've ever heard. (laughs) You're welcome. No, really it does help. It makes the whole thing much less stalkery. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) The two of them share a companionable nod. (laughs) It's perfect. Um, And then this is also kind of just like a little bit of levity towards the end where Hermione lays out essentially the plot of the original series where like Harry is imagining Uh, that if he hadn't been raised by, uh, you know, Lily and Michael or excuse me, Petunia and Michael. Oh no, it's basically like, no, if if Harry didn't have any Voldemort in him and he's only a Potter and that's kind of like, if you were only Harry Potter, what would a Harry Potter book be like? Yeah. You'd probably play that stupid Quidditch game. Yeah, I could just imagine you, Quidditch champion with Ron Weasley, the smartest boy in Gryffindor, and you guys would be side by side. And, you know, afterwards, you'd help each other with your homework. And <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be Hermione Granger's sidekick. That's right. Help me on my awesome adventures. And everybody would wonder why I hang out with you. Which is essentially the plot of the original series. And, like, let's see. Um, and then she sets up, she's, she's, she wants to, you know, do this magical oath thingy and harry's all freaked out that because they had just been talking about how you know she's been freed from the oath that she swore to house potter oh yeah till the day um, of her death <laughs> yeah uh, technicality and so he's like he's like oh my god what are you gonna you know you're not gonna make some like dumb oath that you know get us in trouble again and she, and she says something like would you you need to trust me that i'm going to be sensible she's like that's my thing <laughs> being sensible is my is my thing um and so, yeah, so it ends with this kind of just very charming little best friends till the end. I love it. It's all painted really yeah. well. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't heard the audiobook, but if so, you're missing out. Um, like, yes, the first, I don't know, dozen or so, Inyash was finding a sea legs. Actually, recover, he, he redid the first 10, like halfway through the story. Um, so, like, the audio quality, I still think is really, really good, but like, it has room for improvement, but it hits all that improvement by you know chapter i don't know 50 or something so you know towards uh, when you get to this point it's like top tier audiobook material so just suck it up and enjoy it um it's fantastic and i get you've got your you know uh your particular hang up with it so i'm not talking to you particular i'm talking to anyone else in the audience it got a little bit yeah no it's still kind of there i think it was sort of like content dependent like how much i could forget it was Yash. yeah i and like i said that's that's a unique thing but it's always really well done yeah i just like the the you know 
this isn't a, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of, a, of another way to, to end, you know, this, this chapter in this, the story, like, I mean, so end of the story in that, you know, the, this author is not writing it anymore, but like other people picked it up from here. Um, but like, this is a, a great, like, th- this just sets up really well for me. I'm trying to think of like a, a movie that does this really well. Like, it's just like, yep. And we wrapped everything up and now this is all your stuff. Like, it, mm-hmm. I don't know. This sets it up really well. Yeah. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And it, cause it doesn't try to like it, it lets it you know, bring closure to the things that would bring closure and then the things that would like be hard to just kind of put, put a bow around. It just kind of like nicely leaves those then as these kind of like open possibilities to think about. So like, so the things that work to close works and it doesn't have to like force anything. And then it's kind of, it's like, even if they like nothing got written, it's kind of interesting just to sort of like imagine like, okay, what's this, you know, world with super Hermione look like? And then like, what's this world with super Hermione a thousand years from now? Um, yeah, there are a number of uh, sub, uh, sequel fan fictions to this. Um, I think the endorsed by the author canonical sequel is Significant Digits, um, which I read maybe a dozen chapters into once, and I, I dropped it for some reason. I can't remember. And now it's been too many years. I, I should. I'll, I'll definitely get through it um, or get to it at some point. But um, Kasky hasn't written more. No. Or anything, yeah. He says that he was going to write an epilogue, but never did. I think that after after some time, he just decided he doesn't need one. I don't think. Yeah, I think I think that's what he decided. Was like, you know what the the audience picked it up enough, and like, um, there's just you know nowhere else for me to go with this. So uh, yeah, and like I was just saying, like it's it is as wrapped up as it needs to be, and like the stuff that's left open is like nice to have left open. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because like it gives you this closure, but with the sense of like this is now a jumping off point. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's a word for that in, you know, English majordom, but I don't know what it is. So you should ask an English major. Yeah. If I, if only I knew an English major. I'll let you know if I run into one. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> yeah, I can't be, if, if, if I were one, I would know. Yeah, of course. So, QED. All right, man. Well, that was Harry Potter and Nothing's yeah. Rationality. And hey, Sam, what are we doing this week? Huh? Oh, there are no more chapters. Yeah. No, no chapters next week. We will have an epilogue. We'll try and get on a couple guests for that one. Um, and we'll just, we'll be vague about all that. Um, but yeah, the retro will come out, I guess, probably a week from today, maybe a week in a day. We'll see. Um, but so, yeah, I was going to say like, what are your final thoughts? But I'm going to get more of the final thoughts next week. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Time to digest and have some final, final thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right then. It's weird. Uh, all, that is all he wrote. That is all. That's all that we got. So, I guess thanks for listening, everybody. This was fun. This was Excellent, a. Buddy. This was a really fun project. For realsy, for realsy, the last one is the the real wrap up. Yeah, this so is we'll, just fine next week. But this is wrapping up the story, so I feel like some sort of you know closing thing is appropriate here because the next one's going to be kind of like a get together after the party and talk about it sort of thing. So, anyway, this was fun. I appreciate everyone. It was a satisfying ending. Sometimes things don't end in a way that you like really like. But this is like. Like that it was good. Yeah. Good stuff. And I had a lot of fun doing this. And, you know, I don't know if I've said this on the air before, but Brian, thanks for doing this, man. We did this every oh, week for like a year. Uh, it has been just, I think, a little over a year. Yeah. This yes. is going to be episode 57. For the weird thing yeah, I was thinking about is that, like, anybody listening, like, uh, so we hang out a lot, like, now, but, that, like, it was a few months where this was kind of the only thing, you know, 
you and I interacted with on. Um, but pretty much like at least half of our interaction is recorded and on the internet. <laughs> Which is kind of weird thing about. <laughs> we'll shift that ratio a bit, you know, as, as we uh, get to hang out more in real life, I guess. So now it involves an, since uh, all of our hanging out is illicit and ignoring uh, public health recommendations. It's uh, it's not, a, I think we're, I think we're within the safety margins. So we get together a couple of weeks when we can and play board games. And the thing is we work from home. None of us are going to parties and bars and licking doorknobs or whatever. Right. So it's, it's an accepted level of risk where we're going, you know, hanging out together. And one of the inadvertent perks of it being every two weeks is that, you know, we have plenty of time to notice if any of us got sick in the intervening two weeks. And when you were sick a couple months ago, we took off that. We skipped, yeah. we skipped four weeks, actually. We didn't meet until six weeks later. That's oh, the, yeah. And like, in spite of a test claiming otherwise, I'm re- like, if I had to put money down, I'm pretty sure I already had it. Yeah, um, I'd bet you 50 bucks. And you can test. Not that that makes it any better that you guys come and hang out with each other at my place, but. At least you're, you're probably clear. I'm, I'm clear. Yeah. At least that's what I'm telling myself. What you should do is go donate blood. A, people need blood. And B, uh, they'll tell you if you have uh, antibodies for it. Oh, really? Does that get you like a freebie test? That's like good bribery. Yeah, like a noble it's company. tight. It's and it's, it's like what I like about giving blood too is it's like giving money that is going to be deposited back in your account over the next, you know, six weeks. Like you get the blood back. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things like where you can actually do something really meaningful and good. Um, in fact, my wife, so we went and donated blood, I don't know, some weeks ago, I think the week of Thanksgiving. And uh, she got a text like three weeks later saying, hey, your your blood was used for this. Um, oh, that's cool. Or rather not your, it, was, it said, so, you know, your, your, thank you for your uh, donation. It has been used in, you know, to save someone's life or something. And it's like, how awesome is that? And that's I've been, cool. I've been doing it for years, uh, you know, with, with uh, not very frequently, but I've never gotten a text like that. I wonder if I just didn't click the box to sign up for those alerts, but I want those alerts. Mm-hmm. I want to know who's know, running around cool. there. I want to know that the people running around there with my blood in them. That's kind of cool. It's like being a vampire. It's like uh, that episode of Seinfeld you get, when you get like dominion over their mind. Right. There's an episode of Seinfeld when like I somehow Jerry stabs himself and like loses a lot of blood and Kramer gives him or donates blood. And he, Jerry's sitting there kind of like uncomfortably. He's like, I can feel his blood in me borrowing things from my blood. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, oh thanks, thanks again to you, Brian. Thanks again for everybody listening. And uh, I appreciate all the, uh, you know, I've read the the subreddit and I'm not as, as active on there as I'd like to be. I'm always on the Discord and I, I see people talking about it there. And, you know, this would have been fun to do if it was just us meeting every week to talk about the book. But uh, I've been told that people really enjoy hearing this and that, you know, as cliche oh, yeah, as it sounds, cool. warms my heart, makes me happy. So um, I enjoyed doing on. this. I got the idea like to rip it. off the uh, the worm series that uh, Matt and Scott did, and like I really enjoyed that. And the idea that this brought something like that to people in the way that you know I enjoyed from them is uh, just it's awesome. So yeah, I am gonna not drag this out anymore, and we'll call it here, and we'll see you back <laughs> here next week. Bye, everybody. Upon my life and magic, I swear friendship to Harry Potter, to help him and trust in him, to stand with him and um, stand by him and sometimes go where he can't go, till the day that death takes me for real. If it ever does, I mean. And if the world or its magic ends, we'll deal with that together. <laughs>